the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show, episode number 663, with I, your host, Agostino Zynga. This is episode number 663 of the Agostino Zynga Show, and I hope it's finding you well wherever this live stream may find you. I hope it's finding you swimmingly, and you're enjoying whatever you have left of the day, or whatever is to come, because I know I am, because I know I am. Big up everybody that's tuning in live, big up everybody that's hanging out. I do appreciate every single one of you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that this camera is still a bit glary. As I said beforehand, I'm using an iPhone now, so I've kind of changed from my normal setup before where I was using a flipping, you know, cr crappy webcam. I decided to choose an iPhone because technically it should be the better option when you're live streaming because the, usually the iPhone camera is kind of known for being really good in terms of video in low light. I know when I've been out in raves and whatnot, I've been able to see um, a lot more on my phone if I record at night than I would do anything else. So the fact that this house of mine isn't the most brightest place in the world, the best place, the best thing to use for now to kind of make sure that the quality is kind of improved visually, even though the mic and the audio is always A1, it's to kind of make the visuals a little bit, you know, on par, just to make sure I kind of upgrade the camera a tiny bit and if i could do it with this other iphone that i had lying around i wasn't using why not but the only issue i have now at the moment is that there's a little bit of camera glare on the actual screen because the actual lens of the iphone is cracked so i have to kind of get that repaired and that's not going to cost too much but i'm going to get that done so if you're seeing a little bit of glare on the screen don't worry it's not you it's not my settings it's just that the lens on the actual camera lens on the iphone is cracked because this phone i've got using now is like a red um iphone i think 8 or 10 that i was using for ages I took it to many raves. I probably cut up a bunch of stuff on the front of it that wasn't talcum powder. And obviously, I've dropped it a few times when I've been out. So, for sure, it's kind of been through the war. So, the camera lens definitely needs to flip and crack, to need to flip and go back to normal. And then, you know, basically get fixed and then things will be near where they need to be. So, please bear with me as I get that sorted out. Please bear with me get it sorted out. Um, but yeah, all things considered. I guess another thing to show you not know to expect here: cultural commentary podcasts, all things I'm kind of interested in when it comes to fashion, art, music, and everything else in the news and sports. So if you like that kind of thing, tune in. For those of you waiting for the random show, that'll be happening later. So in about a couple of hours, I'll stream the random show. So if you want to see all the comedy type of stuff, then please come back in a couple of hours, and I'll have that ready for you to go, ready for you to go. So jumping on in to today's topics, I wanted to kind of get my, um, I wanted to kind of talk about and get off my chest. Number one topic to speak about and something that I've kind of been mulling over for the longest, especially after a couple of conversations that I've had over the last couple of weeks due to some, you know, personal things that are going on in life and whatnot. I've just been thinking in general about maybe going full ham with this kind of thing that i do because for the most part even though i have stuff like this beer and kept fund here at the bottom of the stream 
I'm not exactly out all the time like I was at one point. There was a point in my life where essentially going out and getting absolutely trolleyed was exactly my kind of mission in life. And I kind of sometimes would actively run away from people who would try to tell me to chill out, calm down or take it easy because I was thinking at that time they were fun police. I'm pretty sure they're still fun police, but they probably did have a point in terms of me maybe pulling it in, reining it in and chilling out a little bit. But I was living my best life. I had issues i was kind of maybe personally going through that was maybe you know in a weird way subconsciously unconsciously i'm um, taking it out on a dance floor that malarkey but there was something i enjoyed doing and i enjoyed doing it to some extent now but i wouldn't say it's very accurate to my overall personality and what I'm, I'm about in terms of how i do my stuff i can't i kind of like to play up to it because i think it's just funny to troll people and to make them think you're absolutely caning it every single day because it's way more um you know humorous to see them get on their high horse and try to be moral arbiters of what people should be doing at certain times of their life ages and whatnot and i'm also kind of somebody that kind of you know laughed and kind of at first i kind of got offended but also i kind of laughed and loved when you know the weekend and future would kind of purposely go on these kind of tangents of telling people how many drugs they did how much drinking they did and then i kind of got old and i realized myself hold on i love the weekend i love future i think they're only getting better and better with each project especially something like a future is becoming way more well-rounded as a rapper especially he's come from you know his trap sort of beginnings all the way until now um his melodies are awesome his bars are amazing he's got captions for days and artistically he's just going in very different places overall and it got me thinking one time when i was old i was like hold on these guys that i love the weekend and the future they talk about doing drugs and drinking all the time but they also are able to put out these stellar which i would say are easily like you know seven out of ten and plus um albums every other year or whatnot they put on a hell of a live show i've seen the weekend perform live i've seen future perform live it didn't make any sense to me why those guys that were talking about drugs and alcohol would also be able to put at that kind of level of music and product then it kind of suddenly clicked i was like oh they're lying they're playing up to this idea of being this rock star but actually day to day what they do if you listen to anybody that speaks about future and his you know habit of being in the studio every single day that guy essentially lives in the studio and if he's not in the studio he's at a strip club and if he's not at the strip club he's at the club and if he's not at the club he's at the studio those are all the places that he's at or you know maybe linking some itches here and there but he's nowhere else so if this guy's spending so much time in the studio putting out these amazing projects these amazing songs doing these amazing hooks crafting these amazing melodies probably doing loads of ghostwriting as well on the side when's he got the time to do all those drugs and alcohol bits same things it could be replied to the weekend his actual start of his career was like being the guy that was the caner right talking about how much drugs he was doing pills he was popping coke he was snorting drinks he was sipping on girls he was falling in love with like all that stuff was kind of his earlier part of his career he has kind of still got that sprinkling overall going forward but i don't think somebody that's performing on jimmy fallon that's doing super bowl halftime shows is also being able to take bumps to the toilet it just doesn't marry up to me so over time i've kind of liked to play in that image because i think those two guys played into it and i think it's good to troll so it's nice to kind of like pretend you're that guy and kind of play into it but also kind of dibble and dabble but i definitely would say i'm not at the same level that i was maybe a couple of years ago maybe even more where i was legitimately going out like every week tuesday to sunday right rinse and repeat maybe wednesday to sunday actually to be fair to myself rinse and repeat all the time on top of me djing all the time as well so that means i was you know in in clubs in bars being flipping tempted to do bad things and all that malarkey so that was like a constant thing for me all the time 
but then of course comes a thing where you start to realize hey i have goals i have ambitions um i have things i want to achieve i have people i need to help out and whatnot and i just kind of want to be in the best place so i can possibly at the end of my life look back and say yeah here's what i've contributed to the cultural timeline you know of this world that i'm living at the moment i kind of want to leave something there behind right and say hey i was here too i contributed something meaningful that i think some people can you know take from learn from inspired be be inspired by and build from and obviously exceed in their own timeline too that would be amazing definitely that would be amazing but as most of you will know, if you're grown-ups, as most of you will know, drugs and alcohol do not combine well to somebody. Do not are not a good combination for some. Oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not something that you should be doing if you have dreams aspirations. Maybe something that you do at, at the end, right, or when you finally achieve your goals. But if you're on your way to achieving your goals, they're not the best thing to be doing because they take time away from the things you actually need to do. They're distracting. Um, and they just generally lead to a lot of mess. And what I found with me is that the older that I've got, and I think specific, I have to say, the flipping pandemic, I think, messed us all up because essentially robbed us all of two years plus of our lives. I think those two years, I think for those two years being a pandemic, I can clearly easily say I was off the hype thing for like maybe for like raving thing and going out drinking and doing stuff maybe for like a year and a half i was offered that because i was so scared about the flipping virus i was that guy that bought the flipping visor i bought 17 masks i was importing them from south korea i was importing k95 masks from flipping china i was so worried about it. i didn't want to get sick especially with my already you know respiratory issues and my hay fever and stuff i just didn't want to i just didn't want to didn't want to be in that kind of vibe in it yes Koyla, we're live we're live in this place brother good to see you um but yeah, I didn't want to do that, right? So I wanted to make sure that I was clear-minded and I was going through what I need to go through. But I think that two years out during the pandemic and not doing stuff and then getting older meant that when I did finally go back out, I realized, oh, rah, I'm not the same person anymore. I can't do the same level of stuff I was doing prior and still be functioning and still be working out and still be doing the stuff I need to do to kind of get my career where I need to get to and just still being a functioning adult and being a good friend and all that sort of like I just can't do it. It just doesn't work that well. And I have to kind of sack off the other things. So especially after the weekend just gone and whatnot, it just got me thinking because I didn't I didn't go out, right? I didn't go out for bank holiday weekend and whatnot. But I had a little session and whatnot, right? at home and i was thinking to myself you know what this stuff as much as it's fun i do obviously now get to a stage where i definitely do think i enjoy this kind of thing out more i think it's way more of a reward and feels a little bit more no i said meaningful it's just i'm not sure if it's a reward reward is probably the wrong thing to say but it just feels better to do after a long period of like absence for me or working hard during a week because i remember when i was working in retail um, one of the things I absolutely loved, right? One of the things I absolutely loved when I was working in retail was like going out with my colleagues like after work. And usually the reason why you loved it or why I loved it the most was because at that time I was kind of relatively young. I was kind of going to church. So it's kind of a bit of a naughty thing to do because I was kind of growing up in a really conservative sort of like, you know, a religious kind of household where you weren't allowed to do certain things. So that kind of fun time after work with your friends was a little bit naughty, uh, whatever it may be. But the main thing why I liked going out with my friends after work was the reward of, a, you know, a good day, a good day of hard work had kind of given me. So at the end of the day, when you'd kind of been dealing with horrible customers, you put for a million refunds, you replenished stock, you did the merchandising, you did the standards, you cleaned up, you did all that nonsense, right? You locked down, you cashed up and stuff. And at the end, you get to kind of go with your friends to Spoons, to a local bar around the corner. 
um, or whatever it may be and have a drink and have a little bit of a dance or whatnot and go home. That was legitimately amazing. It really was amazing. And I think over time, I then basically upgraded that sort of experience. I did it with Berlin. I did it with a club. So I was be like, you know, out you know, Friday, this is Friday and Saturday, or I'll be working Monday to Friday. Then I'll decide to kind of go out somewhere, go to a rave, have my fun and do what needs to be done. But it always was a reward for something. It wasn't like a daily thing. And I think what happened is after the pandemic, where I tried to come back outside. I basically tried to recreate that. I basically tried to make up for lost time by, you know, having sessions at home, which aren't the, aren't the greatest. Cause, but you know, from the outside looking in, they look a bit sad. You know, they could be fun to you, but being at home alone and watching live streams and getting on it at home can look a little bit ridiculous, a little bit sad. Um, can also, it, it, it just looks sad. There's no other way to put it. It just looks completely sad. It's not an after, but when you're doing it at home, it just looks sad. So the plan is going forward now. Long story short is that I want to get to a point where that's the name of the title of the podcast, six weeks, uh, Bergheim program is I want to kind of treat this how I did it beforehand and kind of have it like training camps where I'm basically sober for the most part when it comes to before the party season that I'm kind of going on. And then when that's finished, come back and start doing my regular Monday to Friday because prior to the pandemic, I think it's one thing that I kind of appreciated a little bit about working in the office because now I predominantly work from a computer and basically working from home for the most part on a laptop. And one of the things I actually did like about working um, in an office prior to the pandemic was that for me, it gave me a structure to what I was going to do Monday to Friday because, you know, with, without, with some, without exception, you are going to be in most days if you worked in an office Monday to Friday. So it basically created, um, these sort of like guardrails I could kind of live my life by where I could make sure that I had to be Beha- I had to be somewhat behaved or my good behavior sorry from Monday to Friday but then when a Saturday or but when the Friday evening came about I could then get a bit crazy and get a bit loopy and of course most of the startups I worked at they always had like Friday drinks or they'd get you pizza or you'd have like a team you'd have a company all hands where they bring drinks like something to do with drinks would always happen on the Friday especially if it was around payday because of a chance for everyone to kind of let their hair down and relax after a long week of flipping working hard so that's what I want to go down to go back to personally my personal life especially when i think about my djing thing that i want to kind of pick up i'm probably going to start producing also i don't want to be in a position where i'm essentially a slave to the flipping rave which i've never been to be honest i've never been that it's only been the last couple of years where i felt like i've kind of slipped into some bad habits i think before that i was fairly strict with how i went out i did my work Monday to friday i went out on a saturday if i wanted to and that was it so this coming weeks coming up the six weeks before i just dis- before i'm going to berlin i should be going there the last weekend i I think of may i think it's at like the 21st or something of may i think it's around that sort of date. let me just double check but i'm pretty sure that's a date that i booked yeah i'm going to berlin from like the 26th to the 29th of may so between now and then i basically got six weeks to train do what i need to do and essentially live a 100 sober lifestyle until i go then and then i'm going to rinse and repeat that at home also and just continue doing it that way because i just think the the other the other option is just crap and honestly the hangovers are so brutal now they take two days sometimes two and a half days to recover from you're still kind of reeling from it and you forget all the good stuff you did whereas before i feel like if i'm going to a party i'm kind of well i'm kind of especially if you're going to a place like berlin you you can't really get yourself too larry and too on it because you have to behave you have to be on your best behavior in a queue 
they don't let you go there and be a little bit too drunk and go crazy so you have to be kind of on your best behavior um, when you're in that queue itself you also want to pace yourself because most of the clubs there are open 24 hours um, sometimes they're open from Friday all the way until flipping Monday so there's no need to go there steaming you can take your time and if you want to go see a certain person play like where I'm going to go on that weekend I'm going to go to like three different clubs to see three different people and I think I'm going to two clubs in one night so I basically need to be paced so you know I always find myself when I go to these things on way better behavior um, than I would be at home because the structure of how they do stuff there is just a little bit more easier to kind of you know do the right thing because you don't end up pre-drinking you don't end up getting on it before you wait until you get there and even when you get there you're more focused about the rave and the music and who's playing and who's around and looking at the architecture and the interior and just walking around this labyrinth of a club and finding all these nooks and crannies you can kind of hang out on and chill at that's basically the kind of time you're on so that's what i'm going to be on going forward so i'm really looking forward to that kind of um phase of my life up and coming you know coming up sorry um but yeah just wanted to kind of put that on the record just for myself mostly <laughs> so i'll make sure that i'll sit back into bad old habits because i think that's probably the better way to go about things but that is the plan that is the goal going forward it's a six-week bergheim flipping marathon you know training sort of program that i'm going to be on going forward six week Bergheim camp i can't wait it's going to be absolutely banging i'm going to have the best time and i'm really 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 going to be um on it and i can't wait i can't wait i can't wait what's what you're saying yeah i always felt like too short partying on a wednesday but yeah just got straight up sad after a long yeah it just is Duche, man it's like to be honest i think maybe sad is not the right maybe sad is not the right thing to say i won't say sad because i think I wouldn't even say everyone needs that period. That's not what I would say. I don't think everyone needs a period in their life where they party and they go crazy. Some people don't need that in their life at all. And to them, going out to party, going to drinking, getting on it, it's just like lame to them. They could not see anything worse they could do with their time and their money. I get it. But for some of us, I think it's important to quickly realize what type of like party person you are. And I think for me, there was a period in my life where I honestly thought, I enjoyed getting on it more than I enjoyed the parties because it was such a like um un it was such a forbidden thing for me to do how I grew up and whatnot right so it kind of seemed like the wrong thing so I'd kind of run to it because my life was just you know I was just getting constantly told what to do all the time so the one place where I could do what I want I kind of went crazy but in actuality when I think about it over time some of the best things i experienced in my life like as a young person came through parties but they just came from meeting people from having fun talking crap in a flipping smoking area m making new friends on facebook adding them on instagram um meeting each other up at other places like th those legitimately came some of the most formative formative um moments in my life that kind of contribute a lot to who i am as a person and how quickly i realized especially when i started to dj and started putting on my, my own parties oh no you actually like the parties you like the raves especially when i start talking about them and you know I, I look at old clips of myself and i started talking about raves on here on a podcast for real like you know i could see clearly that i'm passionate about raves i'm not just passionate about going to them and getting messed up i'm actually passionate about the clubs where they are who's playing there how they program them all those things intrigue me which is probably why in the future i'm definitely going to be opening up my own nightclub especially seeing what flipping joe rogan has done with his own comedy club is able to kind of progress that and kind of scratch that itch so it's definitely something that's kind of i've realized over time but i don't think i think everyone just has their own journey i don't think it's either so in one way i can say it's sad what i'm what i was doing prior but some people just enjoy it i know some people who come back after work 
you know, on the weekday and rack up a couple of lines, have a drink and go to bed like it's nothing. To me, I could, I, that, you know, nowadays it feels like that's a sad thing to do if it's not connected to a party. But I know some people like and enjoy to do that all the time, especially when you look at the rates of drug use here in the UK on a weekly basis. It's really high. Like people generally 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 get on it like way more often than people like to talk about so i'm sure i'm not the only person going through that but i just think overall we just have our own little path to kind of take and i just think along the journey um you do get you do get some messages you do get sent some signs and i think it's up to you to decide whether or not how you interpret them whether or not you take them and you use them to kind of carry you forward that's the thing that i'm kind of getting to and i'm going to try to take the signs and the flipping um you know hints i'm kind of getting along the way to kind of fix up certain parts of my life because i know where i kind of want to get to and i also know that the things i'm doing now isn't really contributing to where i want to get to in some way shape or form because i know the best thing for me and what's always worked out for me what's always worked for me was to have a very strict monday to friday and i don't mean when i mean strict i just mean you know basically not doing anything monday to friday and if i want to go on a weekend i can but that's it i just reserve it for the week and there was a period of time when it was legitimately monday to friday it would be like there'll be times where i'd go out on a friday night and i wouldn't touch a drink until it passed 12 you know what i mean 12 a.m until it was 12.01 Saturday morning I was like I was that strict about it that's how strict I was traditionally about it and I think that allowed me to kind of keep some level of balance so I was like running 20 25 plus miles a week but I was also you know going out every weekend but then I think over time the going out kind of started to eclipse the flipping doing the other bits and that kind of got by the wane and especially when it started to invade my weekly schedule then I went crazy so I'm kind of oddly you know free a little bit reckless and crazy in some regard but i'm also quite regimented and a little bit um you know yeah i'm quite like like yeah in a way like i have that kind of thing about me i think i can be a little bit loosey-goosey but also want to have some level of a plan that i'm kind of writing down even if it's in my head or whatnot but anyway that's enough about me um you know talking nonsense and stuff and hyping myself up but that is a plan going on going forward for the next couple of weeks and i can't wait i really can't wait talking about all that sort of stuff right there's this article that i saw that i thought was fairly interesting and i'm gonna pull up here on the screen this is courtesy of the daily mail right and i think i'm a little bit i'm a little bit in two minds about this article because i honestly do think people maybe overstate how important it is to fulfill whatever potential they think you may have weird thing to say i understand i really do get weird thing to say but just hang in there with me right so this story that kind of broke over on the Daily Mail and a few other places, it says Delhi Ali's hippie crack shame. Football star 26 is surrounded by laughing gas canisters with a balloon in his mouth as friends party with 215-pound tequila, Jamaican tonic wine, and high-strength chewing tobacco. I had it said Jamaican tonic wine. They might as well said nigger wine, innit? Say nigger wine. Say wagwan wine. Nigger wine, wagwan wine. Come on, just say that. But they didn't want to say that, right? They called it Jamaican wine, which is probably tonic that we have here, right? Magnums that everyone's drinking that I absolutely love. They basically, it's kind of like the UK version of like lean or something, it feels like, because it tastes like it. it's super syrupy, but it's awful. It tastes awful, awful, awful. I swear to God. And it's really sugary and stuff. And I love to drink them when I go out. Um, but honestly, 
honestly. <laughs> it's probably not the best thing to be drinking. And I'm sure it has a tons of, you know, horrible things in it that I shouldn't be putting in my body. But hey, you know, there's worse things I put in my mouth and in my flipping body. I can tell you that. I can tell you that. What is a tonic? Um, a tonic wine. How do you, what is a tonic? Actually, they just say, let's see what they say on Google. Tonic wine. What is it? But it's essentially, it comes in a really small bottle. So a tonic wine is usually a fortified, generally consumer to, as, as, as an invigorating, invigorating, invigorating. Look how I pronounce that. I pronounce invigorating like how my mum would. Um, invigorating effects, Colin. So essentially they say it's meant to be given your bone. And I think the cover of the Magnum, if I'm not mistaken, has like a guy embracing a woman in a very, um, Caribbean way, right? And it kind of looks like he's picking up the lady, you know, and, and flipping dagger in her in the air. So it's meant to be, it's meant to give you a, it's meant to give you a dick wings, basically, right? You know how Red Bull gives you wings? I think tonic wine is meant to be giving you dick wings. But that's essentially what we all are drinking over here, right? This is it, right? This is it. Right? We're drinking all this stuff here on a daily basis over here in the UK, having a flipping time of our lives and partying like it's flipping, you know, like it's back in the days at Sidewinder flipping Club Rick. So it's a little bit crazy. Anyway, I say all that to say that this article features, you know, again, um, the Daily Mail essentially shaming um, former Spurs player and England star um, Daily Ali for essentially on his off time deciding to hang out with some friends at a flipping crazy afters, which I've been at. I've been at many, many, you know, places with a similar sort of flipping layout where you're at an afters after going out from a tour nightclub and you end up at some random person's you know, a humble abode, which is essentially afters, and you end up, you know, going and doing the flipping drinks run at a Sainsbury's or Tesco. Maybe they have some drinks there already in the cupboard, and you end up getting on it and doing maybe balloons, maybe a couple of lines, a couple of other things. And this is generally what you do: you end up kind of talking and blabbering on for hours and hours. And usually, in these scenarios, you end up kind of feeling like you're solving the world's problems. You can end up talking about festivals that you want to go to. I remember going to afters, right, with random people. And in the moment, you're so high off whatever you're high off of, right, that you legitimately think these people are like your family and your friends. And you legitimately start having conversations about going on festivals, going on a holiday together, like all these really high, like not even just a casual thing about, hey, we should meet for a drink or for dinner next week. No, you're thinking about, no, we're friends forever, man. We get each other. Let's go and do this. Let's go and start a magazine. Let's start a creative agency. Now, I'm sure there are some people out there who have done that and have actually gone ahead and followed through. I'm sure they've existed. Those people follow through, right? But for the most part, most of us just do this and you have, you never see these people ever again. And sometimes in my experience, you hang out with these people, you have a great time. And then you message them the following week or following day and they act like they never know you. They never knew you. Like, leave me alone. Go away. Block the lead. You know, never speak to me again. You're like, hold on. We were just sharing a spoon the other day. How, how are we now suddenly not friends anymore? Anyway, all this to say, I generally do think there is a overemphasis placed on people fulfilling their potential, especially when the person themselves doesn't really care. And I get the feeling from Delhi Ali 
that he doesn't care as much as other people care uh, how his kind of career has kind of you know somewhat petered out into a little bit of a of a dead end at the moment um he was obviously a really great at spurs for a while he did some great stuff non-league mk dons got teams promoted was you know he won loads of personal trophies in terms of young player of the year he scored a bunch of goals took part in a real bunch of crazy amazing premier league games you know went on a good run with spurs in the champions league and generally i feel like even though he's only 26 27 i feel like a lot of people out there haven't you know achieved an ounce of what he has in their in their career and they're pretty happy so i'd imagine you know Deli Ali could be pretty happy too despite maybe him hitting the wall not fulfilling his overall potential but i never got the feeling that he was overly bothered about it and i'm just here to say what is the crime in deciding you're happy with how your career panned out and you just want to kind of live your life what's the crime about that even if you're and again especially if you're on your off time there's something about footballers in the uk where they get criticized so heavily for essentially doing what anybody else the same age as them is doing on their off time at the time now Ali isn't playing football i don't think he's meant to be at fenerbahce he's maybe injured i think he's on loan for everton he's injured maybe so what else is he meant to be doing at this time if he can't play football why shouldn't he be doing balloons why shouldn't he be at why shouldn't he be at crazy afters when he's twenty seven? Because every other kid that's his age, um, that's maybe into the stuff that he's into, I can guarantee most of them are doing the same thing that he's doing on any given weekend. Some of them are doing them on a daily basis. So I don't actually see the issue personally for me. I think people are projecting way too much on him. And I think there's also a little bit of a case of I wonder if some people just have this feeling where like they feel like because he's a footballer, which is a kind of very um fortunate sort of like um position to be in and a lot of people kind of try to be football especially in the uk in london especially you don't make it so that maybe you look at these kind of people and you think to yourself oh if i was had the opportunity to do that i wouldn't be wasting my career that he's wasting the way he's wasting it you think in your opinion which you know there could be some truth to that but then that's the beauty of having your own career and be able to do your own thing you don't exactly need to abide by other people's rules or follow what they want to kind of go by in my opinion i think this is just this is kind of what happens i don't think everybody gets to fulfill their potential some people get to enjoy the fruits of their career early on middle of their career maybe at the end but as long as they did enjoy it were able to make some money provide for their family and have fun along the time along the along the along the way what's wrong with deciding to then unwind and do what you want to do in your spare time what is the actual what's the wrong thing about this i don't really see anything wrong with it personally but anyway let's kind of read the article because of daily mail it says former england football star um daily ali has been pictured with balloons in his mouth surrounded by laughing gas canisters a picture shared on social media claiming to be inside a flat in salford shows a 26 year old and several friends sitting around a table laden with high with giant balloons giant bottles of nitrous oxide also known as hippie crack i love it no one calls it hippie crack people just call it balloons but i love how the daily mail is trying to you know this flipping disgrace um the legacy of balloons because i guess predominantly maybe black people take it or something i don't know it's annoying but i see loads of plenty of white people outside clubs taking this shit um the timetable is littered sorry the table so it's littered with a variety of other party related items including a 215 pound um calais azul tequila um magnum a 16.5 alcohol tonic wine from jamaica i love how they're, they're breaking it down here trying to get it banned um the siberia extremely strong snus which a lot of people take actually i think footballers are starting to take it too i see a lot of footballers on the benches taking it 
and from a chewing tobacco. Also visible is a bottle of orange fizzy Lacazade, a can of fizzy drink, and a bottle of seven up pack, a bottle of seven up and a packet of Evian water, alongside several empty balloons and a pack of playing cards. Imagine being a journalist or being a writer or going to imagine going to journalism school and then at the end of it you graduate and this is what you have to write. You have to be breaking down um item by item um what is contained on a table and afters where a professional footballer is. Imagine that. While possession of laughing gas is not currently illegal, Home Secretary Suela Brav Braverman wants to introduce new laws banning it entirely from all but legitimate uses, which include whipping cream. Somehow they're going to try and ban laughing gas so you can only use it if you're whipping cream. Hilarious. But anyway, we digress. Deli Ali, um, that's him clearly there. You know, he's got this fine football swag on, wearing the Louis Vuitton skates, which are a decent shoe there. I love that. So big up him for that. It continues. Um, leveling, um, leveling up secu- secretary, um, Michael Gove has been a high profile critic and announced the plans to tackle certain social behavior and littering from people using it. It's hilarious, right? Co-kid Michael Gove is telling people not to take a flipping laughing gas. Shut up, mate. Five tons of laughing gas canisters were collected after Notting Hill Carnival last year. Kingston and Chelsea. I hope they're going to be collecting the same canisters that fucking Glastonbury, right? They keep targeting the blacks because we've decided, you know, maybe laughing gas is our new thing. But I, I hope these police officers are also going to be at flipping Glastonbury, collecting all the flipping laughing gas canisters from all the whites over there and Reading and Leeds Festival also. Don't just flip in target the blacks, please. But anyway, we could digress. Kensington and Chelsea Council said the excessive number of metal cans had made what was already Europe's largest street clan um, the all the more difficult because they had to collect it separately with the risk of the uh, uh, continues. Um, Kerry Donaldson, a receptionist, recently revealed that she had been paralysed. <laughs> sorry to laugh paralyzed and left needing random cook care after repeated binges on balloons damaged her spinal cord i'm sorry i'm sorry but if you're using balloons to an extent where you're getting paralyzed surely there comes a point where you just think natural selection because anyone that's actually done balloons will know it's not that enjoyable it's like shisha like people who od on shisha and stuff you are weird that stuff tastes weird after a while. It makes you dizzy. Um, it's just not that enjoyable after a couple of puffs. It's not that incredible. So people that are legitimately inhaling laughing gas to the point where their spine is getting paralyzed and they're having round the clock help. Maybe your core wasn't strong to begin with. You know what I mean? Not to be mean and stuff, but maybe your core was lacking number one. And now, you know, paralysis has basically come your way because of that. Maybe do a couple of more sit-ups and less of the flipping laughing gas. Maybe. But hey, what do I know? Ali was uh, uh, hailed as one of England's most promising footballers, but struggled on the pitch since leaving Tottenham in January last year. He previously had been on loan at Turkish side Besiktas in Everton, um, but um, this expected to be cut short after, in- after the midfielder developed a hip injury. A hip injury, though, to be fair to, be fair to Besiktas, a hip injury is one of those injuries that footballers get that footballers kind of say they have and it's kind of hard to really diagnose a hip injury so it's one of those ones where you can kind of stay out on the sidelines for a while if you're not really in the mood so i can kind of see why they're upset but you know i trust him if he says he is um ali would have been able to play again this season for the toffees anyway or would have not been would unable sorry anyway due to not being registered as a premier league squad god almighty but images released may cause concern for fans hoping to see him return to action sooner or later he hasn't appeared on the pitch since the end of february against um Altispor 
Ali isn't the first footballer to be spotted with a laughing gas here and they keep and they're gonna snitch at other people. But essentially, my point was to say in this regard, right? There is nothing wrong in my opinion with deciding like you kind of hit your kind of ceiling as a footballer and you're kind of over it. And maybe you just want to enjoy yourself and live the life that every other 27 year old is living at the moment. I don't see anything wrong in it. The guy's achieved pretty, you know, a pretty decent amount in his career. Just checking over here on flipping um, transfer market, right? He's got here Premier League, Europa League appearances for Spurs, right? Look how many he's got there. Right, a few there, two goals in Europa League. He's got four goals um, playing for the in the Champions League for Spurs again. A a a you know a a permanently kind of underachieving football club, right? A joke of a club really under Daniel Levy. He's been able to score four Champions League goals, you know, across the spread of what it's five or six years. Not too bad in my opinion. You got a promotion to the second league, and um, with Mourinho Dons when he was really really young, Champions League runner up you know, for the, for flipping um, Tottenham. He scored a goal. Maybe it's only one solitary goal, but it's still one goal Then a lot of people have, have got appearances playing for England. Um, in the World Cup, you know, not some Mickey Mouse thing and obviously participated in the Euros also for England in 2016. Yes, he's only 27 and his career might have kind of petered out a little bit, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it, personally. I think people are being overly critical and maybe projecting a little bit because some people haven't been able to achieve the things that they wanted to do in their career or maybe they had way less talent than him but worked harder and it still didn't work out for them and they think to themselves, how would you, why could you throw away quote-unquote your career like this? But I don't think there's anything wrong with it personally. I don't think it's throwing it away. I think some people should be allowed to just decide, hey, I've had enough. This is what I wanted to do. I did it and now I want to chill out and do what every other 27-year-old is doing. I don't see anything wrong with it leave Deli Ali alone let him do the laughing gas and stop kind of you know painting it in this light like it's some sort of thing that only affects you know black people and stuff whatever it may be please 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 relax 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 going on the football and quickly want to mention this and talk about this because I was really happy with the result and it was a very strange and weird match overall quickly want to talk about Man United's 2-0 win against Everton over the weekend Sometimes early kickoffs for United can be a little bit touchy, a little bit weird because our players don't really get up for it that much. But I always feel like United nowadays under Ten Hag, especially with some of these bottler players mixed in with some of these signings, they seem to really pull it out of the bag once we're kind of away from home. And clearly against Everton, who are struggling at the moment, even under Sean Dyche, it was probably the best game for us. But again, I think all credit has to go to flipping Sean Dyche's weird tactics. I've never seen him play... You know, he's obviously famous for his kind of, you know, really defensive, solidly, you know, defensively minded, um, solid, organized team at Burnley. But I've never seen his team be that expansive and high up the pitch as his Everton side were. Some people are saying maybe he went to dominate the midfield, but the line against us at home was so aggressively high. Every time Bruno Fernandes kicked the ball over or anybody kicked the ball over their back line, our players were in. And we missed like, I don't know, four, maybe more than that, flipping one-on-one -on -one chances against Everton. And again, you know, the saves were decent enough, but I do think Pickford, most of the shots were basically, you know, towards Pickford and he didn't really have to do too much. But in the end, we ended up doing the best that we could do, which was get in a goal either side of the halves um Scott McTominay who had I think a terrible terrible game last game 
standard like with all United players and these players that we kind of should get out of the club he decides to have a stinker the previous week and then kind of pulls out a pretty decent solid performance the following week and scores a goal his first goal of the season which I think was really well taken considering all the poor finishes beforehand he got given a ball inside a box and really finished it really 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 well I think the assist also was from Sancho so big up Sancho but that was pretty decent to see and then in the second half we saw Martial finish um, I think a chance that most strikers should be finishing but I'm confident to say that if Weghorst was playing up front he would have missed the chance that Martial got so I'm happy they got off his got on the score sheet and all those things happened but I think overall um, the, 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 the the tactics from Sean Dyche were baffling I've never seen his team play that far up the pitch and I think the way they played that far up high up the pitch essentially allowed us to have space that we can exploit in the back so I'm definitely happy and over the moon about that really happy and over the moon about that then of course over the weekend I also have been watching a TV show that I quickly wanted to talk about that I'm really kind of enjoying so far the first is this show called Ra- um, Rabbit Hole and it features Kiefer Sutherland who most of you guys will know from 24 right and legit i don't really know what the show's about i'm not gonna lie the the kind of idea behind it is essentially Kiefer sutherland works as this um consultant stock guy type of thing um who kind of you know purposely manipulates the market to kind of favor his clients or favor himself so he can look good you know, by doing these little tricks and pranks and purposeful things to affect certain things. Like maybe he'll have a fake um, TV, um, you know, um, a stock market thing playing. So the person in the cafe, when they see that or the restaurant, they get nervous, they sell their positions. And then that means his client who he's working for makes a bunch of money. And in the process, you know, you find out stuff about him and espionage and this shadowy cabal of people who are controlling some other people that he may be friends with. It's just weird. It's weird overall, right? But what I do love about it, it's just basically what I love in shows, which is a classic thriller, spy, financial, kind of like whodunit, crime caper type of thing. And so far, four episodes in, I'm kind of happy with it. It's not amazing. It's not highfalutin. It's not going to be highbrow TV. It's no Wire. It's no Sopranos. It's no flipping... um it's not Breaking Bad. It's not none of that. But if you need something to watch that's within the kind of 24 universe, that's fun, that doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's also pretty decent in terms of its storyline, decent characters you can kind of get invested in, I really I really do encourage you to watch it. Because again, there's not much out there right now to kind of check out. I know I've mentioned a lot of times here on the pod that I am a fan of Star Trek Picard season three. I think the previous seasons one and two were absolutely diabolical, but for whatever reason, whoever they decided to hire as a writer has absolutely smashed it with Star Wars Picard um, season three. But I really, really do um, have enjoyed so far this flipping show rabbit hole it's been really something interesting i've checked out and again if you're a fan of keeper sutherland as an actor and you kind of want to see him in something where he's not as dour um and it's not as kind of like you know i feel like towards the end 24 kind of lost its legs but i feel like this is a decent uh, um show and it's got this guy too who plays um what you call it who plays one of the who plays the lannister dad i forgot his name let me just see on a web thing he's a he's pretty decent in this also he's a very very good actor um charles dance who plays um, Kiefer Sutherland's mythical dad in the show, which I shouldn't say because it's a spoiler, but most of you guys won't check it out anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But regardless, check it out. If you haven't already, it's really good show, Rabbit Hole, available now wherever you get shows. You know you know where I'm getting my shows, obviously on those Russian sites, but if you've got a legit, if you're a legit person, 
you can watch it now on paramount and on flipping amazon prime but if you're not legit you know where to go you know where to go then i've also been watching i quickly want to mention this because i think this show is really underrated really 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 underrated and i've only been checking it out because the main actor guy essentially got in a really crazy accident where he got i think cut up by a flipping lawnmower or something i don't know what it was in the hospital for ages and then i decided to kind of check it out because he kept mentioning the name of the show and articles about his injury mayor of kingston mayor of kingston is legitimately a pretty decent and underrated show not many people are talking about it i feel like online but i'm legitimately enjoying it mostly because of how it depicts this guy who essentially is acting as like a fixer right a fixer for like um uh, you know the place that he lives in kingstown he's kind of like the unofficial mayor but he also has a criminal past He's kind of playing both sides of the fence and he's basically trying to do right by doing wrong, right? That's what he's basically trying to do. He's trying to do right by doing wrong. But obviously if he has the right intentions around things, he kind of thinks it just, you know, the ends justify the means. Um, but it's really kind of telling the story in a really clever and a complex way i really do like it i really have enjoyed it so far i don't want to give away too much of the story but i have definitely enjoyed it and i think some of the acting performances in it are really good also um there's some really good scenes in it i like that it's kind of violent it's not as kind of cookie cutter as you would expect it to be and for me so far it's been an enjoyable watch to kind of check out and i've essentially been able to binge the last two seasons over the last few weeks which i kind of regret but it has basically allowed me the opportunity to kind of see that oh there are some decent shows out there they're not all the most the same old nonsense but um over time over time over time um it's nice to see that these things kind of exist and actual decent tv is available out there so again if you're having a struggle with stuff to watch out there you don't know what you want to check out then i definitely recommend you check out those shows that i mentioned um rabbit hole and flipping what's it called and uh, mayor of kingstown available now wherever you purchase or wherever you watch shows so let me just double check actually and see where mayor of kingstown's available oh same place so mayor of kingstown's available according to me in the uk it says it's available on paramount amazon prime and apple tv and also youtube so if you want to check that out definitely make sure you do some really solid performances in the whole entire thing and i've definitely definitely have enjoyed it so far that i've been watching it i 100 percent have enjoyed it going back to talking about balloons because it's fun let's touch upon this this article courtesy of mixmag talks about the up-and-coming band that people are basically legislating for in terms of you know nitrous oxide and whatnot and just essentially the the grip that balloons have taken on this dear nation of mine the title of it hysteria harm or something more sinister why the uk is banning nitrous oxide uh, this is courtesy of mixed mag written by a person called tracy cowalik so it says the uk has the highest drug consumption in europe <laughs> now you guys understand why at the beginning of the podcast i had that weird coping session about my alcohol and drug use and the fact that i need to maybe put a lid on certain things if i need to achieve my dreams i'm not the only one i'm not unique i'm not special everybody in this country is struggling with it in one way shape or form maybe it's because we don't have enough sunlight and we don't get to go to parks often i don't know what it is but look at that the uk has the highest drug consumption in europe full stop 
In London, the continent's capital, a gram of gear, weed, Dom Perignon, ecstasy, G, MDMA, crack, fentanyl, psychedelics, DMT, and even rhino care are all by a text and a Prius right away from your front door. And from my own personal experience, yes. But the drug continually, um, currently, sorry, dominating headlines with reports, hospitalizations nationwide is one that long been readily available at corner shops and online, which is now set to change with the announcement of a ban on March 27th. It's nitrous oxide, occasionally dubbed hippie crap by politicians, tabloids, and second most used drug in the UK among 16 to 24 year olds. Imagine being 16 to 24 and doing that much flipping care developing brain right you're probably not sure who you are as a person let alone the drugs you want to be ingesting your friends are changing your family's changing your career projection is everything's moving around you and that time you're (laughs) i love it i love it look at that picture look at that picture a kid under a statue of churchill with a massive balloon you absolutely gotta love that the only thing that would make this better is if the kid was wearing um what's a good brand here in the uk um uh a sports banger if you know if you know you know a sports banger anorak under a churchill statue doing balloons with like maybe like a a balloon that has like i'm sure balloons that exist that has like the flipping great british flag on it that would be awesome you have a great british oh that'd be a good thing a good lookbook picture in it a great british flag balloon with a kid wearing an anorak you know, uh, maybe a fake, a fake Burberry print anorak or something under the Churchill statue. Brilliant. It continues. The context. TikTok is flooded with braggadocious boasts of folks doing a hundred balloons plugs in a single sesh. What's a plug? Balloon plug? Balloon. Oh no, hundred balloon plus. I'm sorry, I'm reading it wrong. I'm the redacted one here. I've always said a balloon plug. What's a plug? Um, plus in the session. Um, is that 100 balloons actually the rubber things or 100 canisters? Honestly, this is crazy. But among those, Kerry Ann Donaldson, a 26-year-old paralyzed by nurse. Uh, Kerry Ann, I'm sorry for laughing, but hope you get better. And a handful of B12-deprived youth are sending out warnings alongside Birmingham's neurologist David Nicole, who's witnessed nitrous oxide gain traction and devastating consequences it can cause firsthand. The, here's, here's the snitch. In the past, you may have seen one patient every 10 years because nitrous oxide, it was formerly listed under medical rarities. Now, NOS-induced injuries are our most common call to the Birmingham Acute Neurology Ward ahead of these of, of other things. I see two new patients with nerve spinal cord damage and even paralysis called by oxide every week. So kids are coming, so kids are waking up in the morning, going skateboarding, playing football, and then turning up at his hospital on flipping wheelchairs. And not from football or skateboarding, but from taking too many balloons. Weird. Nicole was first encountered the ship back in 2020 when he began treating increasing number of patients experiencing tingling or lost sensations in their feet. I was cycling. I wonder if this is to do with the pandemic also, because I feel like with me, like I said prior, my pan, my kind of pandemic alcohol and drug use went down completely because I was scared of the virus. I didn't want to get it. But then when I tried to kind of get back on it again, I realized that my tolerance had also lowered. No, my tolerance is also lowered. So whatever I could do prior to the pandemic, I couldn't do again now. So I wonder if some of these kids came out of the pandemic without the ability to kind of, you know, temper, no, without the societal need to kind of 
rein yourself in because you're going to a club or you're outside of people. You can be at home doing what you want and they went overboard. Maybe. I'm not too sure. I'd like to blame everything on the pandemic because it's an easy thing to point at and not yourself, but who knows. The quote, I was cycling every day and seeing those bloody canisters, whippets and cylinders on the side of the road. It really angered me because I'm seeing patients constantly because of this stuff. I live in a very middle class area in the Midlands and I work in a very deprived part of the West Midlands and you get it from corner shops all hours of the day across all those areas. And the one thing about England that I love when it comes to drug use or booze in general, it doesn't really discriminate and it's not only you know limited to certain groups of people on certain economic, you know, socioeconomic levels. You go to places in West London, you go to places in North, places in South, and you'll find these silver canisters everywhere. It's not just in hoods, in kind of rough parts of town that I live in. They're across the board. So everybody's getting on it, but they love to kind of, you know, make it a flipping pause and a black and brown thing when it's actually affecting everyone. That's actually a way to deal with it properly if you wanted to. But again, what do I know? Um, Pissed off and propelled to ignite change, Dr. Nicole the Narc um, launched a personal crusade across the country to spread the word. Laughing gas is no matter. It's no laughing matter. Lame. Laughing gas is no laughing matter. Lame. He was, but he has vocalized his growing concerns across mainstream and specialist news organizations, helping to conduct a recent investigation report for Sky News. But David Hiller, a freelance drug journalist, thinks that the medical argument Nicole is making is sensationalized scare tactic and nothing but hot air. Thank you for saying that. I love the pun. Um, government figures report that 56 people cited in the UK across 2001 and 2020 from nitrous oxide most commonly caused by hypoxia um efficient sorry if insufficient oxygen in your body it's not a positive statistic by any means but it's one that dramatically lower in comparison to the staggering stat um such as 840 deaths linked to cocaine use in 2020 alone to a neurologist the number of cases and usages probably looks alarming but to the typical Londoner who parties regularly and does balloons, the danger is not that deep. Exactly, I like this guy. The qualities people do, the quantities people do aren't as wild as they say, and the side effects from NOS are rare. Because who's actually doing these reports? Who's going to be sitting there writing down how much they do in a session? You're either too busy doing the session, or you're going to keep that shit to yourself. The only people doing these flipping reports are dorks and neeks who don't actually go outside. I would, I would assume. And if you are out there ingesting a lot of this stuff to the point where you get spinal issues might be your might be your problem might be your problem um it continues Do, miss but mr dr nicole's perspective this is bullshit he points out that while recent investigations from the admd found that the use of the drug reduced significantly over the past six years the amount that he caused super users has not He's treated various patients with life-altering injuries, having seizures and bladder and bowel problems, God almighty, mental health issues, paranoia, burnt mouths from inhaling directly from the canisters of sexual dysfunction. Surely at that point, it's not the canisters, it's you. That, that goes back to user error, isn't it? That's a famous Steve Jobs quote, right? You're using it wrong. Surely you're using it wrong at some point if you're the one who's getting to the point where you're having you know seizures bladder and bowel problems mental health issues paranoia burnt mouth from inhaling directly from the canisters and sexual dysfunction balloons are meant to be done just as you're coming out of the afters right you're coming out of a rave some random guy from road is offering you a you know free balloons for five or whatever it may be you take a couple on the way home you maybe you know if you if you want to go crazy you might buy a whole flipping canister for him to take back to your afters and you keep it moving it's not that deep 
Jesus. He knows a colleague um, with two nitrous oxide patients who had drains inserted in their brains to save their eyesight from a rare interior intercranial pressure. And one patient now permanently blind who was not so lucky. Yo, God almighty. The London Ambulance Service recently released a data which points to a trend rising um, in health issue related to the nitrous oxide uses, revealing that 999 calls from nitrous oxide instances more than tripled in a year. That's because people, more people are doing it. That doesn't mean you know, these, these stats are a little bit, you know, a little bit skewed. With 213 recorded in 2023, up from 65 calls in previous years. And the, the funny thing is, the more of these articles they write, the more people are going to want to do them. Because I know for me, when I used to see articles on like Resident Advisor, about the scene in Berlin and stuff, and techno, and just, you know people putting on crazy parties and these amazing djs and stuff it just got me interested in going to these parties just people writing words and adding pictures to words and shit how much more for kids who have access to tiktok other bits of social media friends live streams they're going to be wanting to go there straight away especially if you're a kid and you live in ends like i do and you go outside and you see your silver canisters you're just going to be interested and think what's the canisters about can i use them so essentially these articles are actually encouraging some of that usage also which is an unfortunate part of it, but it's a reality. It continues. The response. At the top of 2023, the Home Office chimed in with big plans to push the ban of sale of possession of nitrous oxide as part of a wider crackdown on antisocial behavior. Um, although selling it and dealing us has been illegal under the 2016 Psychoactive Act, having balloons at house parties and raves and festivals for catering purposes isn't. <laughs> I love that flippy stipulation. Having balloons at house parties and raves for catering purposes is not illegal, technically. There are a variety of loopholes distributors have slid through. Most commonly, for yeah, which I've seen. This is what you see on, on eBay a lot. Cream, yeah. Um, these, yeah, loopholes include commonly selling it as cream deluxe, fast gas, and smart whip canisters, which hold 80 balloons worth of NOS. 600 grams canisters, 152 small balloons, and up to waist high um, under the guise of whipping cream. And a smart whip from the local shop or a 20, 20 kg fast gas canister isn't for the great British Bake Off, remarks Dr. Dr. Nicole. That's what you see generally on eBay, especially in the UK. You'll see loads of people selling them as like um, great British Bake Off kits and shit. <laughs> with a canister with like balloons in the packet as a picture you're like all right um in the speech richie sunak chose to swerve nerve damage and health risks selling nos at dangerous quantities instead of zero in on nitrous being a gateway to more extreme crimes what an absolute nonsense man um the the kids i see doing balloons on a daily basis or especially outside of clubs look like the type of people who would feel guilty about stealing a flipping kit kat from flipping tesco's like come on let's relax they spray they spray graffiti on war memorials, <laughs> um, discard needles and nitrous oxide cancers in children's playgrounds, gang together and cause disorder and disruption. How does he know this? He doesn't live anywhere near these places. Um, anyway, it continues. David Hiller weighs in, conflating nitrous oxide use with heroin use is unfortunate and it's doubtful whether anyone could focus on graffiti while doing one balloon. Exactly. Maybe Richard should look at putting more money into youth services instead. Of course, but is he not? Since 2010, toys have been closed more than to 800 libraries. They've sold off hundreds of playing fields. Look at these crimes for the Tories and crippled youth services, underfunding arts by a third and cutting local authority grants by 40%. Twitter user MSG, MG Smig suggests try reopening youth centers, 
swimming pools, lowering the price of football pitches and dance classes, reopen all the things that austerity brought and poor and but not the privilege. It's simple. Give the kids something to do. I'll quickly move this tissue. You know the funny, you know the funny thing about this, right? This is really, really true. And in my experience, what what I found is that, and I was thinking about just the other day because I was having this debate. I was talking about this actually issue with my brother the other day. When it comes to Pirate Studios, which I love, right? Pirate Studios is amazing. It gives you people the ability to kind of go and record, you know, professional level equipment. If you're a DJ, you can use these little studios that you can book for like, you know, £15 per hour and you can, you know, use them to record a DJ set, practice, live stream like I do sometimes. They have dance studios that you can book by the hour. They have uh, band rehearsal rooms you can book by the hour and recording studios, right? Amazing. But actually, there was a time in my life growing up back in the day where those things would have been provided by the local council. So if your local council was an area where a lot of kids were into music and shit, there'd be like youth centers where they'd have like studios that kids could use for free. You just have to book them ahead of time. Maybe you can only do them in one hour, two hour slot windows, but they basically had computers that you could use in there, microphones that you could use. So you could essentially get started in making music that you maybe have heard on pirate radio and put yourself out there. So pirate studios would have been a thing that the local council would have provided beforehand for kids for free. That would have kept you off the street. That would have maybe kept you off of, you know, going down bad paths and doing all those little, you know, naughty things like, you know, inhaling too many balloons and whatnot. But because of all those cuts and because of, you know, parts closing down and, you know, all these places that you go to play five side of football being grossly, grossly overpriced for the regular person to go and play at, it then drives people to do other things to kind of go and seek their fun. Even more so if you live outside of these main cities like Liverpool, sorry, like Manchester, Liverpool, London, all these other places, right? Um, you live in a smaller town. There's not much to do except literally to do drugs. Like the amount of people that I've met at after parties, especially, especially people who are like from very small towns who live in other places, maybe like even Scotland places that are outside of the Edinburgh and whatnot and, uh, you know, and whatever else city they have up there, I'm flipping blind to my mind at the moment. But I remember a lot of these people telling me that part of the reason why they kind of got into drugs very early in life was because there was nothing to do. Once they reach a certain age, there really is nothing to do to kind of go out with. So you just end up doing drugs super early in life. And, if they if the government actually would invest more again in their head it's just way more money but you would actually save more money down the line in kind of halving the cost of police you know and any consequence of flipping antisocial behavior by giving kids things to do instead of just getting on it and getting drunk and getting high but at the moment parks are closing pitches are too expensive um there's not youth centers anymore like there used to be anymore you know all these places i used to kind of go to and especially in the summer holidays we'd have these things in my borough like these kind of summer school things where they'd set up these really fun classes that you could go to they were usually stuff that kids would like like i don't know computer programming computer game design art um you could do like um graphics you could do outdoor stuff like loads of shit you could do right and they're kind of like a summer school program type of thing and they're usually for kids from like low-income areas or families who maybe didn't have much to do at home outside of school because people like myself who didn't have a computer back home at school you'd be using the school computer to go on the internet so you'd essentially be um 
staying at school when me and I was growing up we stay at school until like 6pm and our school finished at 4 because there's nothing to do at home we went to stay at school use the computers fuck around in the football pitch and shit and then kind of you know then they'd basically maybe encourage you to come to the after school clubs and you can just get opportunity to hang out with your friends some more but those things were kind of gone by the wayside nowadays and essentially kids are trying to seek other means to kind of enjoy themselves and it's no surprise that they're going in this direction it continues on february 7th this year 11 experts from manchester birmingham nottingham and queen mary hospital of london um released a clinical guideline advising doctors on how to recognize diagnose and most importantly treat people suffering from nitrous oxide induced health issues and prevent long-term neurological disability within the clinical guideline they revealed that there are patients uh, up using up towards a 300 580 nitrous charges per week some as young as 12 oh my god kids again on it right now off the back of that as of march 6 following a two-week intensive investigation the acmd the advisory council of misuse of drugs imagine the amount of people that are earning a living off of being on this flipping council this board of people who just sit there and pontificate about drugs they don't do flipping now we rejected the idea that criminalizing oxide rejected the idea of criminalizing nitrous oxide firstly they felt that the ban would cause problems for those who needed the gas for legitimate purposes i.e the food industry in medical and dental um, settings as anesthetic and as acute antidepressant as a competent as a component sorry of rocket fuel and car racing secondly the acmd stressed that the home office should prioritize education and health warnings about recreational nitrous oxide use and focus on prevention rather than persecution both statements echoed um, previous investigations and advice they shared dating back 2015 that's the issue we have with nightclubs here in the uk if one nightclub has a fight has a shooting has a stabbing instead of you know um putting in places and systems that can you know prevent things happening again right instead of doing prevention they always go for prosecution take away the license of the club um take away you know close it down permanently maybe ban certain people from performing there typically black artists and whatnot because they think we cause them much trouble and all that malarkey which essentially negatively hurts the scene overall and basically puts people out of jobs it's crazy and obviously leads to clubs closing all over the place uh, but it continues to say about of monday march 27th home secretary suella braverman announced that the government has decided to ignore the amcd acmd instead it aims to ban the criminalized possession and sale and loss as part of a sunex anti-social behavior action plan which sounds a lot more like social control and the dark days of a hoodie pandemic i definitely agree hoodie panic sorry journalist moya um Lufian mclean uh, makes the case in a piece of the for Novara media that Sunak's plan essentially seeks to reframe vulnerable people who dare to exist in public view as enemy of social norms it's a drug primarily used by young people often in public areas and there's an adjacent litter problem um calls from the certain twitches from certain countries to report an antisocial uh, antisocial inevitable there'll be criminal records handed out possible jail time and criminal service where offenders will be made to wear high-vis jumpsuits during punishment while carrying tasks like cleaning up graffiti unpaid work in shops and blah 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 anyway you get the gist it's going crazy over here everyone's sipping on the flipping canisters and shit um personally i haven't done it in absolute years um legitimately i think it's a little bit overrated in terms of a drug i think when you do it a few times you kind of get bored of it it kind of hurts my head makes me dizzy i'm not really in the mood to be doing this all day every day 
but again i had my time with it it kind of went it passed and it kind of is what it is but i also find the idea of them kind of making it seem like a sort of issue that is only affecting certain people within certain socioeconomic states within certain economic places of certain races is hilarious because from what i've seen when i go out i see every color race and creed doing balloons not just the blacks not just the whites not just the pores everybody everybody is doing this shit that's why the usage is so high and that's why people are becoming crippled off of it because everyone's doing it and they're doing it to excess like we do here in the uk we have an issue with excess in the uk we generally do we don't know how to behave and the government don't know how to treat us like adults so it's a perfect kind of storm for just absolute nonsense and people doing the most and because nos is kind of legal people just do the most and take it to an extreme and because the government don't know how to you know help people and kind of assist people in any way meaningful way they're just going to end up banning it because it's it wouldn't surprise me if in some councils wherever kids take nos it wouldn't surprise me again this is me throwing out a guess here i don't know if this is true but it wouldn't surprise me if there are some public spaces like this girl pointed out right who's this person um let's see there's an article someone it was like a link said about people doing in public spaces what was the quote here um let me see if i can find it yeah this is the one journalist moya lofian mclean this person said this drug is primarily used by people young people often in public areas and there's uh, there's an adjacent litter problem there right it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of councils where kids take nos in public spaces like little parks and whatnot in playgrounds it wouldn't surprise me wherever those places are where there's benches that councils are now putting like skater stoppers on there so you can't sit for long they're making the chairs oddly narrow by putting rails and next to it so you can't sit and lie there with friends or just removing you know flipping seats overall so people can't sit down and do stuff because they don't like people hanging around so i i, I would guarantee you that our council's now doing that i'm just guessing it but i know england was so anti-fun it wouldn't surprise me if there's some councils that are ripping chairs from parks so kids can't sit on them because they think it might encourage them to do guess i guarantee it's happening and that's where we flipping flop as a flipping country that's where we flip as a country but yeah article is smasher it's super long i want to read the whole thing but definitely check it out if you need i'll put the link in the description if you haven't seen it already <coughs> if you're listening via the audio podcast so you can check it out anyway moving on maybe let's talk about so this is a pretty cool video this is courtesy of an account called studio 222 and it's a Kanye West easy season 9 backstage interview the reason why i'm playing this is because i feel like there's like a sly concerted effort to try and reintroduce yay back into the public conversation in like a good way he's obviously trying his best to make sure people know that he's still on this i hate jews time right by posting what he posted about the flipping jonah hill 21 jump street movie he's still reminding people that now nah, i'm still an anti-semite like be real right i'm not going to be on this fun fun thing so he's still reminding people what time he's on but i still feel like whoever it is out there is doing a sly job of putting out certain pieces Adidas wants to get back in bed with him and all this sort of malarkey that's giving me the idea that maybe they want to reintroduce kanye back into the flipping public conversation because there's basically no one like him out there and he generates a lot of clicks and views he pays a lot of people's salaries he's putting kids their kids through private schools he's paying for their vacations he's allowing people to buy 
presents for their mistresses and wives and shit. He's giving them tickets to his amazing shows. There's a whole, you know, economy around Kanye West that if he's not out there producing and making things, that it kind of makes it hard for those other people to eat. So I think they're trying to get him back out there. So this video might be part of the overall plan that overall plan that they have. So as I said, this video is um, courtesy of an account called Studio Two Two Two. Um, it says Kanye West uses season nine backstage interview and i'm gonna play it now for you lovely people i'm gonna play it now for you lovely lovely people oh michelle lamy it's good it's the beginning we're, we're on a journey selling white lives matter t-shirts to white people that's about it <laughs> he didn't know at that time how much damage that t-shirt would cause did he he had no idea <laughs> that white lives matter t-shirt man was fucking legendary honestly he still hasn't got that's the thing with this guy he made all that commotion about that white lives no white lives matter t-shirt but could you even buy it he didn't make it to buy because i think whoever he was producing it with was um Actually, Dove Cherney, if I'm not mistaken, the guy who used to formerly found, who formerly had the brand American Apparel, but I think it's gone now. He's got another brand now called Los Angeles Apparel that basically designs the same type of stuff, but essentially he's in the business of creating really high quality blanks, like t-shirts, sweatshirts and whatnot. And he was producing, I think, a lot of the Yeezy stuff, which I didn't know about. I think it happened because I only knew about it because he then decided to come out and publicly disavow Kanye because of his, you know, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish flipping remarks with him being Jewish himself. And then also, I guess the White Lives Matter t-shirt he also didn't want to be a part of, so because he was meant to be producing them and he kind of didn't want to put them out. So eventually, whatever they made, they ended up handing out in Skid Row, him and Ian Connor and a few other people. So all of that commotion, he didn't end up selling one and it ended up playing a part in his career coming to a weird end, you know, temporarily. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> Who are they saying good morning to? Kanye or God? Who are they saying that to? This sounds I love I love Sunday service as a flipping spectacle, but the cult vibes it's giving, the you know, the flipping urban Scientology vibes it's giving. This is kind of giving like you know when do you remember when Hillsong started popping off, right? That white church or the flipping pastors with the tattoos. Then suddenly it felt like because black churches have been doing that for ages. But if black churches then realize, oh shit, we can kind of have our preachers up on the stage wearing Jordans and skinny jeans too. So then came SPAC Nation, all that sort of stuff, right? We kind of made our own thing. We saw Hillsong, we thought, well, let's do SPAC Nation. Let's have all our teach all our preachers in Fendi and Dior and flipping Gucci and shit, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like, you know, Donda Academy, what's it called? Sunday service type of vibes is giving. It's giving a lot of that because there's a lot of... um you don't really hear a lot of preaching. You don't really hear a lot of sermons. Um, I don't know if they even read the Bible there. They sing these songs that are kind of, you know, in interpretations of like common pop songs with like gospel words changed in there. 
I don't know. It's a little bit mythy. It's, it's like they're creating their own religion along the way. I mean, freestyling religion. I don't know, brother. Seems a little bit culty to me, bro. Oh, and by the way, at this UGC Nine show, I thought the kids sounded fucking shit. Those kids singing can't sing. They sounded fucking awful. You know, like when you go to a kid's talent show, it, unless it's a family member, they're all fucking shit. Um, I felt they sounded horrible. So that was one thing where I knew, oh, imagine being cancelled for a show where the clothes were all right and the singing was horrendous, in my opinion, personally. Anyway, but what do I know? fashion what, what do you want to see change? watch and you'll see so there we have it watch and you'll see so like i said i get the feeling that there is something happening there is something happening out there somebody wants kind oops somebody wants kanye to be in people's good graces again and they're essentially putting out these bits and bobs of these features you know you see how influential he is the people he had at his show michelle lamy all this stuff you think all these people aren't his friends anymore they still like the guy they still know he's a genius they still want to be at the shows they still want to be in there amongst the mix and whatnot hanging out so i'm sure there is a part of it that's kind of happening behind the scenes so don't be surprised if you do see a weird you know kanye comeback because at the end of the day the guy is blockbuster as fuck you know what i mean this guy is blockbuster. There currently is no one like him out there in culture. He's clearly annoying, clearly a pain in the ass, but essentially he's still able from, you know, some occasions to create these amazing cultural moments, these amazing clothes, um, that tell amazing stories, changing trends, palettes, colorways, textures, shapes and whatnot, and just overall contributing to the, you know, public discourse that's going on at the moment with clothes and his interaction with society in general this guy is larger than life his talent is undeniable and unfortunately when you're this talented doesn't matter what you say people will forgive you and you will be welcome back and i'm personally me personally i'm here for everything he produces everything that he makes is absolutely god tier in my opinion and he's an absolute freak of a creative and i can't wait to see what he has coming back you know once he is reintroduced because you know after all this turmoil after all this exile after all this frustration all this anger all this beef he's definitely going to create some of the best stuff he's ever done unfortunately it's going to be some of the best stuff so if you're not a fan you're going to be really upset you're going to see a lot of him i think over the coming months because it feels like there is a real effort to make sure that people are reminded that hey i know he said some wild stuff but he does also make some great stuff that's the feeling that i'm getting right now and it's even more because i see this random tweet courtesy of hype never dies where they feature this which shows every adidas yeezy sneaker ever released and in my opinion judging by this color palette because again you forget you forget right uh, the, the amount of power and the amount of things that this guy has put out over the years you honestly do forget but look at some of the colorways of the shoes here featured from all the yeezys that he's put out over the years and if i'm not mistaken if i look at these shoes i think it's the wrong way around so this is actually the first amount of shoes right the first shoes ever that he put out 
right? All the way until the current iterations. You look at some of these shapes and you can generally, I can generally say, being a fan of sneakers, these silhouettes didn't exist before. Before Yeezy came around and before Kanye started producing and doing what he's doing with that brand with the help of other designers also. But what happened, I felt like beforehand was that everybody was copying the silhouettes that you'd get from Reebok, from Adidas, from Nike and from any other big sportswear brand out there and New Balance, of course. No one was really making their own shapes and kind of standing by them or silhouettes they were kind of going by what everybody every existed and i felt like with yeezy especially off the back of what kanye did with nike with these with these flipping um shoes that he did there he completely changed what he was doing and kind of went for this minimal look where essentially he wanted somebody to be able to tell a yeezy from afar without it being noticed by the branding which is something that you saw a lot of with most big sportswear brands out there the branding would kind of tell you in the logo what the shoe was before the actual design of the shape did and Kanye went to kind of subvert that so he went for all these really interesting shapes and kind of uppers where there wasn't many many bits of paneling where a lot of it kind of fixated on the materials and whatnot and some of the shape and the sole uses on them in some of the 350s and some of the um 700 750s all these type of silhouettes came about and the other thing is all they doesn't get i think enough credit for and his team are the colorways i don't think there is many colorways in the whole catalog of what easy to put out that have been misses they've all been i think undeniable hits and they all feel very fresh they all feel very original but they all feel very easy also in terms of the overall color color palettes that they use so for sure you know somebody's able to produce this selection of shoes that's worth in the billions in terms of intellectual property right into the multi-billions you'd imagine there's no way a brand is going to want to not want to partner up with him again because he was if he was able to produce this much that i've got here on screen right all of these flipping shoes in what how much period was he at yeezy it feels like he was at yeezy i'm gonna say to flip in just a stretch was it more than six years because i think his debut collection was like 2015 that one where everyone was like standing around so let's say it was over six years in over six years he produced all of these shoes that is a lot especially and all these shoes kind of you know are, are culturally significant they hold a lot of resale value if you care about that sort of stuff they were viral on them you know in terms of the marketing side of things you know the influencer side of things they're all crazy loads of influencers loved having these things they'd go crazy about getting them for free they'd go out of the way to pay for them so i think this guy is definitely out there and definitely still important enough in culture that people would want to kind of align with him especially commercially and whatnot so don't be surprised if you see Kanye making a comeback because I think he's too undeniable and people want to be associated with him regardless. People want to be associated with him regardless. One person who doesn't want to be associated with Kanye West, oddly enough, and is standing on principle and you have to respect this way more than you respect anything else because a lot of these people in the scene are flipping clout chasing demons they love to flip in you know get on social media and talk about how proud they are of their friends for doing cool things but they're not really their friend they want to claim people's successes and shit it's all really lame and corny they're asking people for flipping discounts they want to get gifted shoes they, you know they're just just the worst people that exist in that kind of scene overall in terms of how they go about things they're not done anything they haven't contributed anything significant themselves to culture itself apart from being a high level consumer but they legitimately think they have a voice in this thing shut the fuck up but a lot of them are also guys who suck on people's you know knobs because they want to be like them also they want to be associated and kind of next to them and one person was obviously yay and it was a period in my life where i legitimately thought prior to all the stuff blowing up about yay behind the scenes i was of the thinking especially being a big fan of his i just knew 
this guy behind the scenes was a nightmare. Something just told me in my spirit that Kanye must be an absolute nightmare to deal with behind the scenes. I don't know why, but something told me. So, when it transpired and it came out that he was horrible, he was going through this beef with Virgil Abloh, RIP, to the point where his home, Virgil Abloh's family wouldn't invite the guy to the private funeral. They didn't let him speak at the public one. All this madness happened behind the scenes, right? I just knew this guy was a nightmare and it all kind of was exploded and exposed and we kind of saw everything for what it was. And along the way, one of the people who kind of had a back and forth with Ye on social <clears throat> was Tremaine Emery, who does the brand Dead in Tears, who who kind of had a lot of experience working with Yeezy close, um, you know, I, I forgot what time it was specifically. I think it might have been around the time when Kanye did that season where he had the stuff in the shrink wrap, the invites. I think so. I'm not really too sure. I can't really put down the time, but there was a period in time where Tremaine Emery was pictured hanging around Ye a lot. And if you know anything about Tremaine prior to having his brand Dead in Tears, he was kind of like the tastemaker, cultural person and, you know, that people can kind of, you know, use to kind of, you know, have insights on certain things, add ideas to project, ideate things, delegate, whatever it may be, just a overall, you know, fixer in terms of the culturally creative tour stuff. So you'd always see him hanging around with Yeah a lot. He'd be posting, you know, hey, I just got some new shoes. I'm happy about these. I think he's the person who actually made Oddly enough, the Desert Rats really popular for a period of time. I think he was wearing those Desert Boots for a while, the Yeezy Boots that weren't that popular. I loved them always from the beginning because I'm a big fan of flipping big heavy boots. Anyone that knows me knows that's all I wear day to day. But there was a period in time where the Yeezy Desert Boots weren't that well regarded and people kind of let them by the wayside. But Tremaine started wearing them more often, started to show them on his social media, wearing them with all these crazy fits and shit. And then everybody kind of got into them and they kind of, you know, would sell out from time to time. So he played a crucial part and they were kind of very well linked. Anyway, during the period in time when Ye was going crazy, doing those anti-Semitic things, White Lives Matter might have been the final straw. It kind of transpired through those texts and exchanges that I think I spoke about on my podcast itself that they fell out for a while and that Ye Kanye actually fired Tremaine which kind of makes a lot of sense because if you know anything about Tremaine, you know that he's very um, politically minded um, and he's also somebody that gives a shit about that sort of stuff. So when you seen Kanye, you know, talking about Trump being his dad and wearing the, you know, the flipping MAGA hat and stuff, I can imagine it didn't sit well with the guy. But we kind of found out later, again, he didn't announce it, he didn't make a big fuss about it, Jermaine, but we kind of announced it later that, hey, I'm not your friend anymore. We kind of fell out. You fired me, blah, blah, blah. And I think I may have found out about the firing you think he might have said it in passing when he did a live stream talking about about his come up on I think Virgil Abloh's channel I think if you go on Virgil's channel there's a live stream that Tremaine did actually where he's speaking about his come up and he said something like oh um when I got fired from Yeezy I was like shit he got fired and I think later on we kind of found out when the leaks happened and the kind of back and forth and the DMs and shit so all this to say um Tremaine was obviously played a huge part in Yeezy I think played a huge part you know in terms of contributing to that brand overall definitely somebody I worked with yeah and kind of fell out with him because they had political ideological societal maybe differences and maybe just didn't like him as a person and I'm sure all the stuff happening with Virgil behind the scenes the little that we know so far I'm sure there's probably way worse that we don't know um that happened behind the scenes that people are probably keeping private in order to kind of preserve Virgil's legacy and respect his family's wishes and shit which is honorable but I'm sure there are many things that we don't know about him that he obviously done behind the scenes that would you know sully people's you know impression of him but i just have to say big up big up big up big up big up big up 
big up Tremaine for sticking by his guns to the point where now it looks like he's completely scrubbed yay from his flipping um history because he did a recent talk with the Harvard um GSD I think was it I don't know how GSD stands for but anyway um he did with the Harvard School of Design I'm pretty sure where he spoke to some of the kids over there the same place that Virg Dabo did the legendary um lecture that I had on my channel before that you know flipping Harvard took down over a million views for fuck's sake but anyway um he went there and did the same talk or did a talk there at the same place and he spoke about his kind of upbringing and whatnot and his history and whatnot and his inspirations it's a pretty good little podcast so live stream that i watched unfortunately somebody recorded it on their screen and they recorded it small and the audio is all messed up and shit but it is what it is but in the beginning of the introduction they introduced him on the on the show and they don't mention anything about yeezy now it could be that whoever introduced him whoever put this introductory thing together didn't know he worked for yay maybe or it could be that Tremaine told him, hey, don't put the yay stuff in there. I don't fuck with that guy. Fuck that shit. Because he completely didn't mention it in the beginning part of his. They didn't mention it when they introduced him on the flipping station. I'm going to play a bit of it here that features the introduction of it so you can hear what they say. Yes, the video is from here. That's what you want to know. To clip the slides, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the camera. No, you're not going to. Okay, yeah. I don't. I mean, you can if you want to, but let's just. Yeah. Maybe one thing I'll do. Okay, yeah, just go. Yeah, okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome. To this Emery's lecture, and then welcome to me. Uh, uh, we'll begin uh, our introduction. Thanks, Chad. Yeah. Uh, so, Jamie Emery is a fashion designer and creative director whose work has been celebrated for its innovation, thoughtfulness, and commitment to exploring the Black experience in the United States. Um, By the way, this shit is recorded terribly. I'm sure because it was done over Zoom and people weren't really maybe ready for it, but. Maybe there needs to come a point where somebody does like a non-corny and non-lame version of reporting on like streetwear kind of news. Maybe I should be doing it, but I'm just so busy that I don't have the time to probably set up. But somebody does need to set up something that maybe documents this sort of stuff and archives it, takes clips from it, uploads it in the same way that Academics does for his kind of hip-hop type commentary. But obviously he's a bit lame and not really cool in any way, shape or form and doesn't have the knowledge, right? Doesn't have the learnings, hasn't been there to talk about it, but definitely someone needs to do it because this quality is terrible. And this is from the Denim Tears official YouTube account. It's absolute garbaggio, but... Let's just get to the point of kind of reading out his kind of CV because it's pretty interesting, the stuff that he's done. Atlanta, Georgia in 1981. Um, Jermaine was raised in Queens, New York, and then began his career working for Mark Jacobs uh, in New York before moving to London to continue his work uh, under Mark Jacobs as, um, as well. Um, and after spending nine years with Mark Jacobs, uh, Jermaine moved on to... And director at uh, uh, has things gone on to work with uh, a number with uh, very high-profile brands and uh, individuals. 
addition to his work uh, with established brands, Jermaine uh, has made a name for himself with his own brand, Denim Tears, uh, launched in uh, 2019. Denim Tears focuses on Black experience in the United States and explores the role of cotton of um, African American history. Uh, Jermaine's signature cotton uh, wreath motives has been a feature of collaborations with the Levi's with the And then his work has been recognized for his thoughtful and innovation approach to fashion. Um, beyond his work in fashion industry, uh, Jermaine is also a member of the uh, Music Fashion Nightlife uh, Collective uh, No Vacancy Inn, which he founded in uh, 2015. Uh, he has also uh, collaborated with a number of uh, let me quickly musicians, including let me quickly fast forward it's a bit when they talk about his flipping because this is yeah there we go this is what you see a slideshow of his actual experience let's go from here Jermaine is also an activist and uh, has used uh, his platform to speak out against the racial injustice and the political brutality he has organized the protests and the fundraisers and has been recognized for his contributions to the community, including being named as one of the Forbes 30 on 30 in 2021. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, Maxine Yin was focused by the aside and the German in 2015, came out from his, their relationship and shared interest in closing merchandise stuff hosting and DJing parties and events around East London and Soho before deciding to combine all of their interests into a single concept. No vaccine is both the result of their shared ideas and interests and the constantly involved entity that attacks on various forms such as selling, closing, hosting, radio shows and working with artists. Uh, as mentioned uh, before, uh, one of Jermaine's talent and objective is to bridge the world of uh, fashion and music. Um, so here he helped uh, creating a voice on Crying with uh, Frank Ocean in 2017. Uh, and then uh, in the same year, um, he was a part of the uh, Nike Equality Campaign uh, to promote uh, diversity, uh, inclusion, and social justice. Uh, and then by working with Nike uh, on this campaign, uh, Jermaine further solidified that um, his reputation as a creative uh, who is not only passionate about fashion and design, but also committed to promoting uh, social justice and equality through his work. In 2019, Jermaine founded uh, Denim Tears. The brand combines fashion with culture and social commentary. Often dressing seems like race, heritage, and identity through its designs and collaborations. Denim Tears stands out for its provoking designs and strong messages. The brand uses various fashion items, including diamond jackets, t-shirts, and accessories as a canvas to express the viewpoints and the spark conversation about important social issues. Uh, uh, Stussy and No Vacancy Inn uh, have a history of throwing parties together. The 90s, 
uh, and then allowed uh, no vacancy to build its uh, reputation in cities like uh, LA. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in uh, multiple cities. And then, uh, so in uh, September 2020, um, they had this uh, collaboration uh, to celebrate uh, Stussy's 40-year uh, anniversary. Uh, Chiman <laughs> has also worked as a brand consultant, collaborating with communities <laughs> such as Nike and Converse. He has also done uh, here has helped developing campaigns, creating design and uh, advice on branding strategy. I got those. Uh, and then in October 2021, uh, Tremaine Denim Tears uh, collaborated with uh, Levi to release a limited edition uh, collection aimed at celebrating black culture and history. Anyway, you get the point. Whole thing I want to say is that credit to the guy for standing on principles, morals, ethics, whatever it may be, and not including the work of somebody that he actually hates and doesn't doesn't rate anymore and actually fell out with, even though it's someone like EA and a Kanye West, right? If this was anybody else in the scene, they'd still be jacking him, still be talking about how much they love the guy and the work that he contributed to because it's a good thing to add to your flipping clout CV. But Tremaine is so confident in his own work that he's willing to not include that thing in his work even though it's something quite important it obviously would kind of create a good impression of him and definitely something that you want to kind of talk about but because the guy doesn't align with that person spiritually in any kind of way shape or form he's like nah i'm cool with that and that says a lot about him as a person so ratings for him for doing that it probably isn't the case and most likely the whoever's introducing him or put the talk together at harvard probably didn't know that then you know Tremaine worked with flipping Kanye back in the day maybe and it's more easier to kind of realize but I'm hoping that the latter is the truth that's the hope that I have that's the hope that I have moving on from that one and talking a little bit about flipping denim tears right I saw this after to really see today and I kind of got a little bit, mm, this is kind of lame, right? In my head about it. And this is Denim Tears collaboration with this skateboard shop called Neighbors in, um, I guess this is maybe LA, I'm assuming, the skateboard shop. Right? I'm not really, I've not really heard too much about it or heard about it at all. It's called Neighbors and they're doing um, this collaboration. It's called African Despora Skate Shop, releasing online April 11th. Um, pop-up is going to be april 8th from 12 p.m to 7 p.m at neighbor skate shop and it features a t-shirt which this gentleman is wearing here that features the graphic that says tremaine can't skate now the funny thing about this is that on context you know just taking it on face value this t-shirt makes a lot of sense because recently tremaine was hired as the creative director of supreme and despite it being a really cool job and very covetable and something that was kind of surprising for me considering how new he's kind of in this space of kind of making clothes and being a fashion-y type of guy, right? That he's kind of been able to have this sort of position says a lot about how he's viewed and rated by people in the industry that they think, nah, this guy's actually the truth, that they've kind of given that position despite maybe us as customers and consumers only seeing one side of the thing that he does on the final product. I'm sure there's other bits and pieces that he does without really see that contributed to his overall appeal the other part about it is that some people who are kind of you know supreme acolytes i guess were standing there and saying how is he going to be the creative director of supreme if he can't if he can't skate 
And then, you know, some people like myself who've been buying Supreme long enough would know that the majority of people that actually buy Supreme don't know how to skate, have never gripped up a skateboard, don't know how to use a skate tool, let alone how to push down, you know, how to push on a skateboard or ollie. So the idea that someone that works at the company has to be able to skate is hilarious, especially if you know who actually works there and you've seen them around and stuff. You know, a lot of the people that work there are just regular people who kind of do cool things, but essentially they have no ties to the skateboard industry apart from the fact that they work for a pretty legit skate company. But then my overly analytical um oh you wasn't there grumpy old man brain started to kick in and i was like this is kind of lame because it immediately reminded me of this old t-shirt um that was made time ago i think maybe 2007 or something by a brand called plain gravy that featured the graphic that said pharrell can't skate as featured here in this picture um with the legendary um skateboarder terry kennedy from back in the day right and this t-shirt i remember coming out and i remember having one actually that i purchased from my maybe i think maybe karma loop or something and the whole idea behind this was that pharrell was just popping up in the streetwear kind of scene he was kind of getting a bit of steam because of his early association with nigo because the funny thing is looking back right people will never believe this but there was a period in time where people in streetwear thought Pharrell was lame because it felt like he kind of latched onto Nigo skate thing, cause and those type of guys and immediately got cool points because Nigo skate thing cause back in the day, they were the dons. They still are the dons, but back then, the early kind of 2000s period, right, where maybe a lot of people in the Western world were kind of becoming hip to it was really a big deal because at that time, Bape was still kind of underground. It was really well done. Nigo was still at the helm, designing crazy shit, spending way too much money on store design and interior and merchandise and packets and stuff to put the clothes in eventually kind of made him bankrupt but essentially that brand was sick and a lot of people felt like when Philippine Ferrell was coming up he latched onto Bape and those kind of guys immediately got himself cool guy points but he wasn't really of the culture or of the scene in the slightest then it got worse when he started to do his own brand that if I'm not mistaken Skate Thing who was a graphic designer kind of in-house for everything kind of Nigo did back in those days he was helping him and Nigo basically help Pharrell set up Baby Nape sorry um, Billionaire Boys Club and his other brand Ice Cream which he kind of made shoes for and he had a skateboarding team for and that was around the time he was kind of be, you know trying to be the skateboarding guy and a lot of people were like hold on you don't skate though we've seen you skate a bowl and you look horrible you don't skate in the slightest so him trying to align himself with skateboarding was kind of lame then he had that skateboarding team together that had really lame and corny skaters associated with it and a lot of the core skateboarding community who are really 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 about it were basically like no nah, we're not gonna jack that shit this guy can't skate he's not a part of the culture and this t-shirt was basically used to kind of mock him i remember at the time bobby hundreds writing a massive op-ed about it and kind of teasing him and making fun of him and just kind of eventually deriding him and i remember at the time too myself included and a few of my friends who kind of would buy loads of bape stuff at the being their boys club shop in no sorry at the busy workshop in flipping upper james street a lot of us were kind of into Bape way before Pharrell got into it. So when he started getting into it and he started to flip and popularize it in mod in popular culture, it started to be really annoying because suddenly all the stuff that you could buy easily was selling out now because everybody was basically buying it. So it's mad to think that now because kids would just see Pharrell as being the ultimate core guy. But there was a time when I was growing up where we thought Pharrell was lame and that he was catting and he was trying to beg and trying to get involved in a scene that he had no no history and no part of and no legitimacy to so the kind of layers to the pharrell can't skate t-shirt 
are there and they're ready. And obviously, um, Denim Tears has taken, you know, some inspiration from it because Tremaine was around the time that I was flipping buying all this shit as well, even though he's way, he's way older than me. But still, he was around at that sort of time. So I'm sure that's where the idea comes from. But I think it kind of resonates more with it being Pharrell than it would do with the Tremaine thing, even though I'm sure the kids have said the same thing about him. But then, then I think about it overall, I think to myself, am I just being that guy the kind of the old guy shouting at the at the cloud and am i being kind of overly critical um you know censorious and just fault finding and overall because i was there and you kind of feel like just because you're there your experience matters the most because essentially this capsule collection that he's doing with this shop looks pretty cool the shop itself is like a black owned skate shop which there probably isn't a lot in the world i know when i used to skate coming up right um, you know, I first started skating when I was maybe 13, 14 or something. And I remember at the time, there was not really many people out there that looked like me, um, who legitimately kind of were into skateboarding, especially people from ENDS. I think there was a particular type of skate person who's into skateboarding, who maybe were palace later on down the line, right? But those are the kind of skate, you know, black guys that were kind of from Labrook Grove and shit. You know that kind of shit. They're not really, you know what I mean. They're not really from ends. So a lot of that kind of vision of a person that was from end to skate, it didn't really exist. So when I was first skating, getting into it, you'd kind of get laughed at. People think you're trying to be white and shit. It was kind of a hard thing to kind of grow up in and kind of you know live with. It's just really difficult. So um, maybe part of that kind of growing up has maybe tainted my view on things, and I can come across a little bit weird and talking about this sort of stuff. But when you actually look at it on face value, on just a surface level, it does look pretty cool right it's a black owned skate shop they've created this little capsule collection with denim tears and it's a pretty decent collection overall you've got some pretty nice t-shirts with some nice cool graphics on them you've got a nice trucker hat um you know that he's kind of famous for a good hoodie and a couple of skate decks like you can't get anything wrong than that and i think if you look at the actual promotional video that i found here talking about the skate shop itself you'll see that actually maybe my overly critical eye on this was kind of a little bit you know uh i kind of maybe went a bit too over the top with it because maybe this is actually quite a good thing and it's going to do quite a lot of good for the kids coming up that they kind of see this you know what i mean like especially at the highest level being created because it may be able to inspire them to do cool interesting things so this is a video taken from goal supply an interview with neighbors skate shop and it kind of features the people behind the skate shop and talking about the part it plays in the community and overall so you can imagine how cool this collaboration is going to look you know aligned with dead and tears and what they do so let's play this video Lamert Park has so many young black skaters, young black brown skaters, where it's just like the skate shop is going to, it, it provides like an epicenter for, for the scene to start yeah. in this area of the city. Because like that's really what skate parks, skate shops are. Like yeah. they're so important. Like if anybody, like from any news organization were to like go to a city and try and figure out the different, go to different areas that kind of speak on the culture of what a city has to offer, if it has a skate shop go there i mean we have such an honest people tell us a lot of like, how authentic the project is and just like the, that that aspect of authenticity and like we, we always have such a high meter of that but i feel like it's not really anything that we're like really striving to do you know we just we're specifically speaking to the kids that skate in lamert park and we're allowing everybody to attach their self-position to that you know so it's like it can never be any different as long as we know that's who we're speaking to. And it's just, it just, it's just natural. It's natural. You know? yeah, exactly. So it wasn't hard because it's like black people in skateboarding. You know, black yeah. bodies in skateboarding. There's so much that hasn't been spoken about yet. There's so much that isn't there. I feel like 
we definitely had like something to offer to the industry as a whole to give like a bit of a voice to you know a corner that doesn't right. And the skate industry knows that. Yeah. That's why we've had, like, we've gotten a lot of recognition, a lot of love. Yeah. We really did something that someone could have been it's done. Been, it, it's just been lacking. It could have been done. It could have you know been done. I talk about it all the time. Like, yeah. yo, like, there's a ton of skaters that are in position that could have done it. They do it. So I feel like that's that's another affirmation for me. With them saying, like, yo, we just gonna wait up because we're yeah. just waiting on neighbors. So, yeah. like, I'm cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I'm cool that nobody did it. Like, yeah. at least like that. Facts. People that are black that don't skate gotta understand that the skate world isn't racist. Like, they're not prejudiced against us. It's like, bro, I've, I've had some of the coolest white friends growing up, and it's because skateboarding was the conduit to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know if I was growing up in the hood and I didn't skate, I wouldn't have met a lot of white dudes or. Mexicans or anybody else, you know, but skateboarding, it's, we don't see color, it's yeah. just, we're skating, we're hanging out, yeah. so that was cool, like, listening That's... to rock and listening to different shit, because yeah. skateboarding was like, you know, there's no rules, it's not like, oh, you're weird, or, yeah. it's, you, you're yourself, and you're accepted, yeah. you know? and, and then that, you live by the rules of Anyway, you get the point. Um, good to see, amazing to check out, actually, and I'm actually, um, you know, quite on the collaboration i think it looks cool uh maybe the t-shirt could have been left behind i feel like that legendary plain gravy for a can skate t-shirt should go into the flipping streetwear hall of fame and maybe redoing it in a new way in a contemporary way is a little bit lame and probably should be kind of left alone but still when you kind of relate to the skate shop itself the story it's trying to tell the people it's representing what denim tears is all about i feel that story is kind of congruent and makes a lot of sense and obviously it does actually look kind of cool so i'm pretty sure this is going to do well um check it out if you're that interested releasing april 11th online in that regard check it out check it out okay check it out if not don't but still check it out because i think it's good to support the the brothers support the brothers so moving on from that one i want to touch upon this ian connor is on the social media these days complaining somewhat flexing a little bit and just talking quite openly about cancel culture and i'm not really too sure why what kind of spurned it it might be because of that weird kind of back and forth that he's kind of going with um, people from OVO because he decided to kind of jump in and decide to kind of back up yay because I think Drake released that record where it basically features a skit from Kim Kardashian talking about the moment she decided to divorce Kanye he put it in a track a lot of people are kind of reading into it that they're not cool anymore yay and Drake and I guess Ian Connor wanted to kind of get involved by basically saying hey i'm gonna side with yay because that's my guy because you know he was working with him closely on that um brand that never came out at the end of the day which i think was what was it called again i forgot it was something to do with insulting tremaine right i forgot what the idea behind it was but they made a line sheet of it with all these kind of like supreme kind of flips on stuff that he did basically poking fun at tremaine emery and then people kind of understood oh yeah and flipping ian connor working quite closely together maybe he's kind of his consult creative consultant and he decided to kind of throw his name in there and say hey i'm rocking with yay and this is a kind of um, an image that basically shows what happened courtesy of hype never dies it says ian connor blocks drake and says it's war um and then over your chubs got involved and you see here an image 
I think basically of Chubbs, um, one of um, Drake's right-hand men saying, little boy, we, we've been whooped on you. Stay calm before we get active. Basically explaining that maybe in the past, OVO gang may have kind of, you know, put the beats on flipping Ian Connor back in the day. And then you're seeing here screenshots of Ian Connor taking a screenshot of him blocking Drake, even though they're friends on social media, because he decided to have Ye's back. And Ye decides here in the Texas, you've no rules in war. Thank you. You've given me good advice. I guess him talking to Kanye in person or the text about what's going on with their with its ongoing beef with flipping um Drake. So off the back of that, Ian Connor's been on his social media, you know, blovating and just hyping himself up and then being a little bit sorry for himself over the whole counterculture thing because there was a point in time where Ian Connor had like over was it twenty one? I think now it's up to maybe thirty three rape allegations on his jacket. And that may have contributed overall to his kind of steam you know, um, he's kind of hype train grinding to some sort of relative halt and him basically having to get it out the mud and become a little bit more independent and do his own thing outside of the kind of commercial public sort of normy way that he was kind of about to go down because for a period of time it felt like his star was kind of rising over time he was kind of more popular he was getting a lot more mainstream collabs and then obviously when all those allegations came out all those girls saying he might have raped them eventually that whole thing came screaming to a halt but he's been on a bit of a tear on social media as you can see um via his tweets here he says i see the influence yeah he's posting here another person posted and ian connor retweeted uh, ian connor is such an interesting case study he's single-handedly proven that can't being cancelled isn't really a thing he then tweets i realized these rap niggas dress worse than than i've uh, ever nowadays another one he says i did advise some of y'all niggas to settle down and have a family life is deeper than twitter um another one he says here i understood da, da, da. he says touch grass people tell him to touch grass he's posting a picture here lying down next to money um another one says here not true at all but most of the time agreeable because people tend to take the easy way out again he talks like a five-year-old sometimes another one here he's um there's a post here featuring daniel caesar finally bowing to the pressures of cancel culture and apologizing for standing up for yes jewels when she was becoming the whipping boy of social because it feels like every moment there's a person on twitter who basically everyone attacks and bullies and i guess for a period in time yes jewels was the person maybe she brought it upon herself i don't really know but i just remember was a period in time where everybody was basically on her flipping neck and for some reason daniel Caesar decided to step stand up for her because they were friends at the time um he kind of paid the ultimate price of his career it felt like even though yesterday didn't come out and really you know publicly defend him in any kind of way and he kind of suffered for it just for standing up for his friend and then now he's apologizing i don't know what four years later but whatever and um, in kind of tweeted on that video and said i hate that y'all even made him believe cancer culture even exists and now he's apologizing for standing up for someone nigga needs to spend the summer with yay for character development he says here in a tweet, if counterculture was a real thing, then why am I still able to do exactly what I, whatever I want, go where I want and have been, been most financially up and stable than ever I've been in my life? Did I allow that or y'all allowed that? Which is an interesting question because I think what's happened, and I've always said this, right, is that I think counterculture by and large is kind of crap, but I also understand its necessity in culture in society nowadays actually overall especially when you look into the 
you know, into the amount of um, cases that get brought to court that involve like sexual assault or rape and stuff, the numbers are really frighteningly low. So a lot of these women or a lot of these people who are in these circumstances, in these situations where they may have been abused or assaulted, maybe they don't have any way to seek justice in the courts. So the only way they can kind of get some type of retribution and feel that somehow justice has been done is by cancelling and having the ability to maybe stop the money, stop the flow, stop the hype train and just kind of, you know, disrupt and publicly shame a person who is quite widely known for whatever they may have done to them in the past. So that's where I feel like maybe cancel culture has some level of utility where you can't get the justice you want in the courts, so you get it in a court of public opinion you contribute to an op-ed you lend some quotes to an article you may provide evidence of what that person may have done to you in the past and then maybe they get you know asked for a comment from the journalist they don't comment wherever it may be but you get to kind of get some justice back in the court of public opinion it's a bit weird because if you actually have had a crime against you some people would argue you should go to the courts first but in some cases you know the statute of limitations is up you probably aren't able to prosecute if you don't have some bits of evidence over time. It can be a he said, she said issue. It gets really hard to prove these things overall. So I understand why council culture exists. It gets abused when people start to do retroactive council culture or just throw out allegations with no substance behind it and just in the hopes of, you know, you know, um, throwing somebody off who they maybe don't like anymore. And we saw that happening with that. I've got that Asian comic who went on a, what you would imagine was a bad date um for both parties and then the lady that had you know he went on a date with decided to write an op-ed i think on a site called punjabi or something essentially talking about the bad date but in a way it kind of made him seem sound like a predator which he wasn't and it kind of essentially cancelled him for a short period of time now counter culture doesn't exist if you've got your own fan base as we've seen with a lot of these people chris lear being the main example of it and maybe brian calendar's comedians because if you've got your own community of fans and you're not beholden by a network, a big platform, just an employer overall, you can essentially have your fans support you, whether it's through Patreon, whether it's for YouTube, tips and donations, whether it's from you making your own brand, whatever it may be, your fans can directly support you if if that happens and you never get cancelled. So if you have your own fan base, you can never get cancelled. So essentially not getting cancelled isn't actually proof that you didn't do nothing wrong that's basically what i'm trying to get at it's kind of just showing you that we now live in society where you can kind of get away with absolute murder if you want to like if you're if you're well liked enough i'm sure there was somebody liked enough well out there and they committed a murder they went to prison for it came back outside the podcast everyone listened to it and they get loads of money so the idea that you don't get cancelled shows that you weren't guilty of what you you had been accused of is a bit crazy. But then you think about the actual allegations around him, right? And you look back at some of the articles and they're a bit crazy, a bit racy. But then I think to myself, like at a certain point in time, what's he meant to do really? If none of these allegations have been proven in a court of law he hasn't been charged in any way shape or form even if they are crazy amounts yeah think back to the flipping no clark interview that i was talking about in zz mills what should you do if that's if, if you're if that's the case should you just you know have your head down and be thankful you're alive and not be out here flaunting and doing what he's doing and living his life and being kind of showy and enjoying himself or should you be hiding if that's the case what should you do 
I'm not too sure, but let me just quickly read around, reread some of these articles from the past that kind of detail some of these allegations. And this is courtesy of, um, Complex. It feels like Complex have a lot of these articles talking about Ian Connor. I already found like three. So it looks like they were really going above and beyond to make sure that he kind of got cancelled. So maybe they are enemies of the, of the sicko general out here. But it's his title it says Ian Connor allegations resurface in new report. It says here, a Paris Fashion Week well underway and dominating headlines. Debate surrounding the continued presence of Ian Connor has been revived with an article, including comments by Jen Jen Ducks, um, in a two-piece business of fashion titled, Why Hasn't Me Too Come After Ian Connor? Writer Tamisha O'Connor, funny, compares Connor's current career fallout that faced other fashion figures, such as Cherry Richardson, who was roundly condemned in recent years by multiple brands. Um... Nothing has happened, says Durr. Um, just as, as recently, he's been more and more put in the media and pop culture. He's kind of found his way back into being socially accepted. As cited in the piece, Connor has indeed made front row appearances at recent shows for Virgil Abloh and others. International Mag Numero dubbed him an it boy just this month. Looking back, though, who accused Connor of rape in 2016 and Tumblr Post says he was persuaded, she was persuaded, sorry, to... Um, she was persuaded by entertainment lawyer at the time of the legislature to decline pursuing charges or, or going to the press. This is not this is not the intention I want. She said, "It's just it's, it's it's way I don't speak on this." Oh my god, this writing is horrible. This is this is attention, not the attention I want. It's why I don't speak on this situation. Connor has been accused by numerous women of sexual assault and misconduct, including Jenny Stapley, Tarin Williams, Malika Anderson, and Kadita Dalio, a woman going by the name of Alisa, who has chosen to remain anonymous, and multiple more women. Oh my God. In tweets and interviews, he has denied allegations. Collaborators and friends, including Asa Rocky, Kanye, and Kanye West, and Ablo did not contribute comments to the business of fashion story. Read a full piece here. And obviously, we've got a comment here from Chris Black, a co-host of How Long Gone, one of my favorite podcasts out there, who said at the time, I don't understand why these guys continue to stand with Ian Connor. Fuck him. So a lot of people in the industry don't like the guy, but clearly his fans don't give a fuck. And despite all the constant allegations around his name, he's still been able to strive and succeed and do what the fuck he wants. Now, going on these allegations and actually talking about them specifically, right? Let's go over some of these because I forgot some. I wanted to kind of give a bit of a refresh. This is courtesy of, of Complex. The article title is Ian Connor faces rape accusations from two more women. Two more, which is two more than anyone actually needs. It says, two women came forward on Friday, accused of celebrity stylist Ian Connor at the time um, uh, to a report in the Daily Mail. Jenny Stampley, a 19-year-old from Chicago, told the Mail she was attacked by Connor during a visit in Toronto in April. In the same story, Tyrone Williams, a 23-year-old from Redfields, Redlands, California, claimed that she was raped by the stylist in 2014. So someone's saying they got attacked, someone's saying they got raped. Pretty racy, pretty scary, and pretty up there comments. Kadira, sorry, Kadiata Dalio, Dialio, I guess, Dialio, um, which the Daily Mail also spells as Kadita Diallo, um, came forward in her story on Wednesday, joining Malika Anderson and John Dio um, as who made their accusations in April. 
Daniel's allegations prompted Connor to go to a long Twitter rant Wednesday evening and another anonymous woman accused Connor of rape on Thursday, according to the Daily Mail. William's story, as reported to the Mail, is similar to the ones who told by other alleged victims. She claims Connor contacted her through social media, was friendly in online interactions, but then raped her when they met in person. We spoke for a while, just texting back and forth, and he seemed like an okay guy. He never talked about anything sexual, he never asked me for photos, and he didn't even comment on my appearance, said Daily Mail. Williams, a student at the Fashion Industry of Design and Marketing in Los Angeles, eventually agreed to meet with Connor because of their shared interest in fashion. Connor allegedly took Williams back to his apartment and attacked her. God almighty. He tried to put his face down near my vagina. <laughs> okay. I pushed him with my feet really hard and said, don't, just don't. Um, it was at this point he grabbed my lower back, pulled me to him and put his penis inside me. I pushed him out again and I said, please, no, stop. This isn't what I wanted. And you said this wasn't what you wanted. Why are you lying? According to Williams' account in the mail, after Connor discovered she planned to tell the story to the reporters, he threatened her with legal actions via text. So this is the text he says, you're sickening. You really went to report her, said I raped you. Funny thing is the videos I have of you say otherwise. What? And so do the texts. Reasons I'll be suing you for everything you have as soon as the story hits tomorrow. Pray that I, you have a good lawyer because I'll be getting everything. Stampley claims that in the same Daily Mail report, she was also approached by Connor over social media. She said Connor offered her to fly her to New York and became angry and she refused, um, not wanting to cause any hard feelings. Stampley said that she relented after Connor offered to fly her to Toronto. Upon her arrival, however, Stampley said that there was no separate room and that Connor began pressuring her to get into bed with him almost immediately. I was like, okay, I'll go into bed with him. I was like, no, I don't want to have sex. Then he got behind me and held my waist down hold my waist from behind i asked him to move but he said no and kept telling me to relax i thought if i say no he's not going to do anything i never met anybody said no and had them just keep going i was sure he wasn't going to do anything also so i just stopped moving then i saw him out of the corner of my eye taking off my pants or maybe his boxers and he noticed i'd seen him and turned me back around so i said no i'm not going to have sex and he told me relax again i could hear he was getting a little mad i was getting louder and he said you need to stop so i stopped moving simply came that she later moved to the couch to sleep because she had nowhere else to go i didn't have anywhere else to go he was paying for the flight and he only bought me a one-way ticket so i had to wait until i bought the other ticket until he bought the other ticket stampley said that connor pressured her to have sex again the next day and facetimed with someone during it fucking hell afterwards stampley said she asked connor to let her go home i woke up and ian told uh, i work i work ian and told him i needed to ride to the airport ian he was mad he, he had an attitude so he was like well you can't get well can't you get it I was like, okay, I'll get it. If you want me to get it because I'm not having sex with you anymore, that's fine. I called Uber, got myself an Uber, then just went to the airport and went home. He definitely doesn't have respect for women. He'll be a nice person, but when it comes to sex, he's mad. He has no respect at all. Connor seemed to address further allegation in a tweet. He said, I should never be punished with lies. So, he categorically denies it. But he so far hasn't provided any proof to counter these claims. In this text exchange here from that time, he said he has videos and texts that prove that their interaction with that lady who's featured in here was consensual. That's what he's saying. But everyone else is saying it's not. 
Now, in the same way that I said about that no Clark thing, you can't have more than 20 women accused of this sort of stuff and not have some level of truth to it. To me, it just sounds unfathomable that that would be the thing. But I know that also is possible. But the issue comes in the interim. If you haven't been charged and you haven't been in court for it or any way, shape or form, and it's just people saying things about you online, should you keep your head down and live a somewhat modest life and chill or should you be on the internet still flexing and you know and kind of stunting everybody because it feels like now that's what he's basically doing he's kind of flaunting to everybody hey counterculture doesn't exist i'm up i think he's got a tweet here that says 100 bands why are you troll tweeting i hope you realize that's a number you'll never have at once um why are you troll tweeting can you have take care of your family get your priorities together another tweet here says um you're acting like a counterculture reel when the allegations alone don't do anything to your career. He says, bettered it. I made more money standing on my own two feet than ever being employed for years and years by someone who's paying me month per month, the equivalent of days worth of shopping for me nowadays. Maybe I can't be on the scene as much as I once was, but I'm in it for the money. So he was in it for the scene for before, but now because he doesn't have any option, he's obviously in it for the money also. But like I'm saying, what should someone do if you've been accused of these things? You don't get charged in a court of law. Should you be, you know, should you be somewhat timid about it and chill? Or should you be stunting on everybody like this? But I feel like with Ian Connor, the issue that I have with him is that he wants, he wants it all. He wants to be able to say counterculture does exist. I'm successful for it. He also wants to kind of do what he wants to a certain extent because this whole infatuation he has with Osama bin Laden kind of feels like that, right? Where he says, oh, he kind of stood for something and even though he had bad, you know, he went about it a bad way, he got his message across type of thing. So he kind of likes being the heel. He kind of likes playing the bad guy. And if that's the case, I don't understand why he's complaining that some people don't like how he's perceived online. Or I don't see why he's complaining that some people who don't maybe care about him too much or the allegations just believe the allegations. If you're up, if you're able to make money and if your career hasn't suffered so much, why are you bothered about what people that don't like you have to say? Because the people that are commenting that they don't like the guy are never going to buy sicko. They don't care about Bol Bol. They don't care about his recommendations about music. They don't think he's a style icon in any way, shape or form. They don't give a fuck about him and don't know him. But he still wants to convince the world that what, he's a good guy, that nothing wrong, all this malarkey. It's just a strange way to go about it. Because I feel like if you've kind of won, which he's saying he has, why aren't you happy that you've won? Why are you still trying to stunt? And maybe that is the whole purpose of this. Maybe deep down, he maybe isn't happy. Maybe deep down, he's kind of suffering. Because no matter how much money he makes, everyone's still going to be tweeting under his tweets, 33 or whatever they do, in terms of the number of rape accusers. He still knows everyone looks at him as a rapist. He still knows he can't hang about with certain people or be pictured with them because people are going to immediately kind of bombard those people with flipping comments in their flipping, you know, with flipping, you know, ba very bad comments relating to him and saying, why are you hanging out with this type of dude? Um, we only saw what the damage that Corday you know throwaway comments said about him and revenge storms and stuff and saying oh they're rape issues and shit so clearly he has you know he doesn't have a good image out there but he's trying his best to kind of recover it and now he looks like he's kind of trying to angle for an interview that he wants to do and um, another tweet here says y'all in niggas hate me so bad but feel everything i do and say y'all are reading your hands and showing y'all a bunch of dick 
dappers in real life so let me see here there's a quote here where he's basically saying he wants to have um an interview another one here says why would i be mad i'm not getting stranger validation for or embrace my people i never see or meet in real life lmao y'all reveal how pussy and unloved y'all are in real time each tweet another one says imagine me wanting internet validation i want internet money but the opinions and accept and acceptance i can care less for for real but that maybe is part of the issue you can't get one about the other if you get internet money you're going to be subjected to you know opinions and people's acceptance or lack thereof you would imagine so anyway let's continue here and let's see if i can find the one about him talking about the interview he wants to do an interview with somebody niggas bringing up connor doing kind of a bring up niggas skill of social disability cone avi fuck our generation music yeah so fuck it our generation music interview two parts but i get full creative control so he's been talking to akim here talking about he wants to do an interview with him after akim did that pretty good interview with asap bari that was pretty well received i thought so clearly that's what he wants to set up and then he mentions joe budden oddly enough they went to have an interview with but joe budden i guess maybe turned him down or didn't maybe follow up in terms of getting an interview with him which is hilarious considering joe budden's own history um you know with um with abuse and whatnot i guess he just didn't want to have that you know cocktail of abusers on the pod talking about what they're talking about that looks kind of nasty so this interview is what he says here it says funny thing is i wanted an interview with joe budden interview because i was 30 years old and and all but he's a no let's say go again he's writing is horrible and he does this capitalized thing which is flipping annoying as hell to read it says funny thing is i wanted a job on an interview because i'm 30 years old and all but he's a bitch i hate culturally political people because in my eyes the whole point of culture is a natural feeling despite the pros and cons of a matter but niggas confuse that with strategics I don't know. Personally, I think he's kind of low IQ, but very, very talented and gifted in his field of creativity, consulting, and just having good taste. Um, but when it comes to, you know, being able to formulate his opinions, ideas, and whatnot, um, and kind of be somewhat eloquent, it's not there. So this interview that he's kind of angling for may do more harm than good because he's going to have to sit there, I guess, and try to explain himself you know regarding some of these allegations that's the thing he's going to have to do you would imagine right like how do you explain away some of these flipping articles how do you make them make sense when some of them have been you know journalistically vetted people have been kind of you know followed up on in terms of certain things like how do you counteract over 21 people saying that you have assaulted them in some sort of way like how do you do that how do you make that make sense especially when you're not as well spoken as some people and you maybe come across a little bit dim outside of only creating amazing work i don't know how it's going to happen i don't know how he's going to do it he wants to do it i think it's going to be i think personally it's a bad idea it'll probably do more harm than bad for him unless in the period of time we haven't heard him speak he's been doing reading he's been getting smarter he's been getting wiser he's been formulating his opinion and what he's going to say way more away from the cameras outside of the glare of the public i don't know but it'll be interesting to see how he approaches it and if it goes tits up like i'm assuming it will go tits up i'm interested to see how the people around him who are still kind of somewhat co-signing him react to it the likes of the drakes who's got a sicko tattoo the likes of rocky who still hangs with him and still kind of co-signs him and a few other people out there like how do you react to that after the fact because i know the only person i've seen so far who's publicly disavowed him was maybe like 
Denim Tears, right? The Tremaine Emery guy. Apart from that, I don't see anybody else in the scene who's really gone out their way to kind of say, this guy's, you know, fuck this guy and shit because I guess he's still somewhat scene adjacent, somewhat still has a little bit of clout on his name and people don't want to kind of tarnish that relationship. So he wants an interview. He wants to sit down our generation music and Hakeem and kind of sell his story and say that he's innocent. But I think it's going to end up terribly for him. But again, what do I know? What do I know? Anyway, that has been the Exxon Zing Show episode number 663. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If it's the first time checking out the show, please make sure that you share it with your family and friends. Please make sure you rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all those places and all that malarkey. That'd be greatly appreciated. If you watch the show via YouTube, smash the like, hit the subscribe button and leave me a comment and all that malarkey. And you can find out any information regarding me. clicking the link in the description. Go to my website, agassinozinga.com. you find all the information regarding myself as well as the agostino zinga show.com you find information regarding the podcast if you want to contact me on there you can also please make sure you do that that'll be greatly appreciated but thanks so much for tuning into the show this has been the agostino zinga show number 663 if you listen to the audio podcast you'll find a song of the day playing underneath this if you're watching the show it'll just go to black and you'll see me again soon and if you want to listen to the random show please tune in in about 10 minutes the random show will be live on this exact same channel so if you want to tune into the random show stick around in 10 minutes i'll be live again with the random show see you again very soon peace take care have a good one bye